Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. And uh, thank custom, you for the customary greeting. The customary greeting that you forgot to give me last week. No, I didn't forget. <laughs> that was a conscious decision. <laughs> yeah. I had a guest on and I didn't feel like flipping Nick off. So um, <laughs> Jim just needs to be reminded occasionally that he is number one. Um, That's right. <laughs> oh, man. I bought something today. I actually bought oh, something. And are you kidding? Gear what did you got? I bought, um, I bought profiles for my Kemper. Did you seriously? I know that you're yeah. looking on the Kemper group because I'm in the same group looking All for right. profiles. I bought um, the Tone Junkie uh, two two rec profiles, which is a two rock ruby. It's right. Like a, it's a pretty rare amplifier in itself, itself. But back when two rock started, so like two rock now doesn't do the same stuff they used to do, which is like straight up dumbbell knockoffs and stuff like that. In the in the early days, two rock was kind of known for being more Fender than Fender. Yeah. And they would make these crazy designs that were basically just like straight knockoffs and that kind of stuff. And and uh, they made the Ruby, which was a straight knockoff of a two or of a, a train wreck. And, oh wow! Uh, and it's, I would say it's not a straight knockoff because based on like the other profiles I've used, it does not sound the same. But I think there's some. So like, I like the profiles. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, they're they're good, but. Um, they're really bright. They don't, and the and the cabinet he used, and the microphone combination he used is not what I would have used. But right. it's Kemper, so I could disable his cab modeling and put my own cab modeling on. Right, right. So I don't really even care. Um, but it's just kind of an annoyance. Like sometimes I like to get stuff that's out of the box. So you're just like, yeah, this is really cool. I don't have to mess with it. Um, but they they sound okay. Um, I spent a couple hours playing around and trying to match the other train wreck profile I've been using. Which is actually freely available on the um, uh, the rig manager software, which is sounds good. And uh, actually, um, I'm going to use them both. I'm not I, I'm not going to like be mutually exclusive. So I have a I have a performance on my Kemper right now that has the um, two rec Ruby profiles, the, the the two rock, and then I have the train rack on another channel, so I can swap back and forth between them because I'm abing them and kind of dialing things in. Um, to sound like a one of two, 
But the main thing is that when I go out and play live, I've been using the train wreck almost exclusively. Um, so I can just keep doing that and then swap back and forth between the sounds. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes perfect sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I did a rehearsal this weekend. Um, there's video of that up in the group and that was a rehearsal. That wasn't like, so, so I didn't really even realize when I showed up that we were going to be recording because, because we're going to be doing video. I would have brought my, my strat, which is hanging next to me. Um, right. I, I literally grabbed my keysel because I looked at the, I looked at my watch. I went, it's one thirty. I need to be there at two. I have a 35 minute drive. And so I grabbed my, I grabbed my Kemper, my bag of cables from, from uh, open mic on Tuesday and uh-huh. my, my keysel and didn't even stop to think about whether I had everything. Um, and I actually got in the car and realized, oh, my head rush is somewhere else. I had to go pick that up. Um, so I went and go pick up the head rush cab. And then I had to get gas. So I did. I actually showed up for rehearsal 20 minutes late. But wow. I was still the first person there. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so I didn't feel too bad. I mean, the host was there, but the rest of us were, you know, filtering in for the next 45 minutes. Um, so at least you didn't say downbeat it too. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I know, but it was, uh, no, it was a cool, it was a cool situation. And actually the, um, the headrest cab, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, right. that's something we can talk about as we go forward on the show, but I'm not, I don't really want to put a lot of thought and effort into it right now because I've only used it one rehearsal. So, um, but I, things are promising and the, the audio that was in those clips I posted today was from that or from the head rush. There was no direct mic out or anything like it going on with Kemper. So it was just right. that and the cell phone camera. Yep. Nice. Anyway, so what you got going on, Jim? Uh, I haven't bought it. Well, I did buy you a gift, but I can't tell you about it. So oh, when God. you come down here, I can I can give it to you. I've got a couple of things I'm buying for you. So. You bet. You better not be explicit. <laughs> it's not gear. No, no. It's not Dude, gear. I got to get um, – I'm smart enough to know that I could not choose your gear. Right yeah, because like – like, what what was I into? Um, what was I into six months ago? Like yeah, exactly. And then now, what am I into now? Like now it's train wreck, train wreck, train wreck. You know, like yep. no matter what I do. And um, yep. it is funny though. There is a common thread because I was thinking about it today. I'm like, I almost bought a Friedman while we were doing the show. Yep. Um, I looked at a bunch of Marshalls. Um, yeah. While we've been doing the show, I have yep. looked at the Triple Crown. I almost bought the Triple Crown over the Kemper. And all of these things are decidedly Marshall esque. Um, and the See, that's the thing. Just, just, just peel off the bandage. Wait a little bit. Buy yourself a Marshall JCM eight hundred from the eighties. I honestly like it's in the back of my mind, but I think I'd really rather have a train wreck than a JCM eight hundred. Really? Yeah, and the only reason is because the train wreck straddles that like in between plexi. It's it's like a JMP, but it's like a JMP on acid. Um, which it's funny because the circuit itself is more like a um it's like a super reverb with the l34s i mean it's it's there it's a decidedly not martial circuit but it has that kind of tonality to it it's a very uh gritty like raw amp um which i think the jmps do that great i mean if i was gonna buy a marshall i'd probably buy a jmp over at 800 because i think the jmp is like more up my alley in terms of what i'm doing so the jmp mm-hmm. 
I I want something gritty. Like, and I was the complete opposite of that for so many years. I wanted something smooth, and I didn't want all the treble and the crazy like presence going on. And that, I complained about it like six, seven episodes ago. Episodes ago, that I'm very sensitive to the high end, but I'm kind of getting over it. I think because I'm just, I'm just going with it. And even those bright, the two rec profiles, I would have, I would not have played six months ago. Um, there are certain things I can't stand. I don't, I still don't like the sound of like a box amp um, cranked up, you know, with the treble cut up so that, you know, you're not cutting any treble. Um, but uh, I'll say that I have a newer appreciation for that, that tonality. And I think it's more or less just that, you got to understand when you're playing with a band, all those frequencies get swallowed up. Yep. Um, and so it's fine for it, for it to be a little fuzzy and fizzy. Yeah, the studio, that's the thing that people um, tend to lose. I think we may have talked about it before, but I'm going to try to reiterate this point. Like if you set your reverb and it's just you, that reverb is gone in the mix nine times out of ten. Because you're like, oh wow, that's way too much reverb, I'll, you know, or delay. I'll I'll hear that all day, and then you go to play it live, and it's like I can't hear that that freaking delay or that reverb at all. So the mix is it's gone in the mix, um, and it's the same thing. A lot of times, like people will talk about, like like I complained about the Fender, um, you know, that hiss. That hiss is gone. You know, it even when I start playing, I lose it. And when you when you add a band. The it's just part of the whole, you know. Did you keep that? Did you, did you keep that, or did you return it? I returned it. Yeah. I may buy another one though. I, am, <laughs> I, I, I know. I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, actually, so the the fact is that, um, you know, you and I could talk about why later, but I may pick up um, the. I may go with um, one of those. Uh, uh, Tone Master um, amps, um, yeah, as a Fender amp, because I know, have a Marshall and I like my Marshall, so I'm not I'm I'm good with that. I was going to tell you, man, I would if I were in your boat, I'd probably just get DLC, DSL 15. Yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, or or do the, there's some, but the 15 has a 10 10 inch speaker. Oh, just 10 inch manage. Like it just depends on what you're doing with it. Um, yeah. actually. The case in point on that is the uh, the Mark V uh, 25 combo they did with the 10-inch speaker that weighs 25 pounds. Yes, yep. it is a Mark V that weighs 25 pounds with a speaker. Yep. Okay. Incredible. Uh, and that amp, I've heard from various people, smokes that it's like super good um, and that you would never believe that it was a 10-inch speaker. But they're using the 10-inch uh, cream back to yep. uh, pull that off. Well, you and I definitely have to talk before the show next weekend, and I'll explain why later. But I think there may be a guitar and possibly a bass that you want your mix in your in your near future. But we'll talk. We'll talk offline. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the you know that's the ten inch versus twelve inch thing. So like, I'm not a big fan of ten inch speakers. Um, I like I, ten inches if there's two or four. Yeah, I you know I've had uh, I've had some one by ten combos I actually liked. Um, yeah. I you know the Fender Super Champ like everybody kind of mm -hmm. sneers at that amp. Yeah. Have you ever played one of those? Yeah, like That's they're not good. bad. No, and it's a one by ten. It's a little one by ten. You know, I think what happens is like I get a little 
what's the word I want? Tone snobbish. Can I use the word snob on the channel? Yes. Um, and uh, not, you're, not you're, break you're, you're a cork sniffer. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting that way. I, I'm truly getting that way. I, and it's weird because, yeah, I heard it. it, it no, it, I'm, I'm abusing it. It's it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible because I came in here as a person that didn't care a lot about it. Although, I, you know, again, my Marshall is really my favorite amp right now. So it's, it's just one of those things. But I'm thinking if I want a Fender amp, I should get a Fender amp. And the Tone Masters are the closest things. Well, they are Fender, but the closest things to an 85-pound amp that I'm going to get that doesn't weigh 85 pounds. Yeah, but do you really need a twin? A I twin? Mean, I mean, personally, I think the twin is the most overrated amplifier in history. It, it, it does nothing but clean because yeah. no one can set it to anything but stun unless you're Johnny Winter. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it, oh, yeah. it and and his setting have you ever have you ever uh, seen a picture of his settings for his yeah. With twins? Yeah. Everything on 10 except for the bass, which is on yep. zero. Which is like all the way down. It's He's like got everything all the way up. It's, it's like, well, excuse me while I just put a gun in my mouth. You know, like that's I mean, I mean, I can't imagine what that sounds like. If you were it's just if you were in a straight line from dangerous. that amplifier, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope he's got some beam blockers on there or something, because especially because you know they did those like that they did those speakers. Um, I think it was like the late seventies or whatever. They were like super beamy, and he was oh, using yeah. he was using a combination of black faces and silver faces at one point. Yeah. Um, and the the silver faces ones are nothing but loud. They're not. They don't sound good. They're just loud. <laughs> okay. They're really they're just loud. loud. <laughs> that's yeah. That's what people like about them. The overhead. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely have some, uh, headroom for sure. It's no ridiculous. question about that. It's ridiculous. But, um, so that's why I said like, yeah, okay. So twin, nice idea. Cause you got two twelves, but for me, um, if I'm going to go and buy an, a 70 or 85 pound amp, I'm buying a super reverb. Cause, uh, you know, it, if we're going to be impractical, we might as well just do it right. Oh um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> or or like a bandmaster <laughs> head and you know like a, and and a four by twelve cabinet or something. But yep. Um. I don't. I mean, for me, uh, I had my I had my like love affair with Fender amps, and uh, I think it's over. I think I'm just to the point where it's like I don't mind. Like if you want to play Fender amp, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna begrudge you that. Like I I get yeah. it. Um. I just don't think they work for the style of music I do. Um. Maybe yeah. a super reverb might. I mean, it, it, with the right stuff out front, the right pedals, because my big thing is they're scooped. Their amps are all scooped and they're they're like I have a hard time dialing that out. Um, if I was to play like a, a Fender amp, I'd have to put like Marshall speak or Marshall Celestian speakers in it. Um, and I don't even know what I would put in them. I mean, but because I need to get that I need to get in that frequency spectrum. Um, I don't know. And this is maybe some people who who play Fender amps can shed some light on this for me, but like how you deal with stepping on the bass player's toes so bad, because like Fender amps are notoriously bass heavy, especially if you're putting the bass anywhere above five. Um, until you get like when you get them driven, they obviously the bass kind of like falls out a little bit, but yep. um, 
Yeah, I mean, on clean sounds, like if you're a twin reverb guy, I remember the first time I played a twin reverb and I had the um, I had the I had the game at like two. And I mean, it was, that's enough to peel paint. And uh, there's it's just clean, loud, and it hits you in the chest. And you just sit there and you wonder, you're like, that, my initial thought was like, okay, so I'm playing on the neck pickup and I sound like a bass guitar, you know. How am I going to play in a band with this? Like, what's the bassist going to say to me, especially with the seven strings? I play, I play seven strings a lot. So, yep. I don't know. I, oh. I actually, I'm not, I'm not in love with the seven string as much anymore either. I mean, I, I, I do use it and I play it, but I'm, I was debating. It's like I know probably in 2021 I'm going to get another guitar, um, and I'm debating on whether I get a six or a seven. Yeah. And I, if I get a six, I'm going to buy a cheap seven as a backup for my Kiesel. And I do have certain songs in my set that require a seven string guitar. So, I mean, I could go either way. I could order another seven string Kiesel and be fine. But we'll see what happens when that all shakes out. I did a, I did a thing last night. I sat here on my computer um, and I made a list of things that I wanted to do in 2020. Um, some of them are gear wise, some of them are personal, but I'll go through some of the gear ones real quick. So I want to record a full length album, uh, and form a band and do that. You know, that's one step, uh, and get it recorded professionally if possible. So if at, at the worst, I just want to make progress. So, you know, spend a couple of hours a week reflecting on my music, working on writing new music, those kinds of things. This is some of our professional stuff. And then, um, there was another one in here. Um, oh, this is music related. I want to get a third out of debt, which is a significant amount of money. Um, <laughs> very significant. Um, and if I can get a third out of debt, then I think next year it will be a lot easier for me to look at maybe getting another guitar and amp. Um, and then for 2020, um, yeah, so guitar and amp is basically the only thing I have on the list for 2020 one and then 2022 i'd like to get um get a house put in my studio and then make another record and and that's kind of like that i'm putting myself i'm putting down like goals because i'm 35 years old and i'm kind of like i'm realizing that if i don't if i don't write this stuff down and remind myself every day or every other day or once a week that this is the goal i'm never going to accomplish any of this stuff um, I need to, I need to hold myself accountable. And so that's what this is. Um, and I'm holding myself accountable for a lot of personal stuff too, but I'm, I won't go through that cause that's, that's personal stuff. Um, right. I don't know I think goal setting is important. I think we talked about KPIs last week and that's, that's yeah. an interesting, you know, part of the discussion, but I think, um, I think goal setting people do it, you know, they do it for work. They do it. They, they might do it for certain things at home, but I don't think people like, at least a lot of guitar players I know they're not making goals. Like they're not sitting around going like, I want to be able to do this by the end of what ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now granted I picked things that are achievable. I didn't, I didn't say like, I want to play like Ingvay Malmsteen by the end of, you know, it's like, just, just not going to happen. It's not realistic. Right. So. I, so I guess my, um, you know, that was the one thing about, so I told you I started taking lessons, right? Yeah. So I walk in and he's like, uh, I told you about the lesson. 
And I'm thinking, so tomorrow I have to I have to do my lesson tomorrow because I'm going to work Wednesday night. And um, and I'm thinking, what is it that I really want to get from this that I'm not going to get? I, the thing I want is technique. I want someone to look at my hands and look at my my playing and just say, this is how you're going to improve your technique. These are the things you need to work on so that you can improve um, your pull-offs. You can improve your, you know, your hammer-ons. So you can improve. In other words, even you if, even if the guy just gives you pointers and can point out what you're doing wrong, you right. can use that as a springboard for what to do right. It doesn't have to, and, that, and that's a funny thing. You don't necessarily have to be told how to do it right, especially when you played as long as you and I have. Like right. being told that we're doing it wrong is enough for us to go and figure out how to correct it. Right. And that's what, like, um, one of the things was he, he asked me uh, one of the things I needed to work on. I said, I need to work on my high neck stuff because when I get up high on the neck, I tend to lose my, lose my place. I feel like I'm crowded. He said, well, we all feel like we're crowded, you know, it's the smaller friends. And I said, yeah, but I just, I just don't know how to, you know, overcome some of that. And I showed him some of the things I was talking about. And um, one of the things he showed me was I tended to, when I was going up the neck, Believe it or not, I tended to bring my the palm near my pinky. I tended to bring it up and in because you know how we we get used to uh, certain types of guitars. Yeah, because you're trying stuff. to you're trying to think about it from the rhythm player's perspective, where you're trying to put your pinky finger all the way up on the low E or the A string. Yep, yep. And that's yeah, that's a, that's a bad habit to get into up there. Yeah. Um, I could see that being a real problem. Because um, I noticed that there are a lot of players who, for years, long before they talked about all this, oh, we, we're going to start carving away the neck profile to give you access. People were playing really fast, high up on necks with squared off necks yeah. for decades. I mean, Some I of them like Steve Vai. Yeah, I was going to say Ingrid Malmsteen, you. <laughs> well, I, I think mean, I think a lot of it has to do with like, so we stretch. I, most people don't realize that when you get to when you get to like the, the 12th fret. And, you know, there's 12, 13, 14 on a, on a Stratocaster. It joins the neck around the, what is it? I'm looking at my strategy. 16, the term 17, six, 17 At the 17th fret or the 18th yeah. fret is usually the line, right? Um, yeah. So really when I get to like 16, 17, that's where my thumb stays. My thumb doesn't yeah. go behind that that joint at all. And I'm stretching. No. And I, I don't think I've ever played. I mean, I, yeah, of course I've played lower notes up there. But I mean, like in an in a actual like gigging context. Or, or you just playing on a record or whatever, like, right? You're not going to go any lower than the D string past the 18th fret, right? And that's and the D string is pushing it, like that's you know, right. more more often than not, it's about getting higher notes, and you can get those same lower notes at different places, and they'll sound better tonally at different places because if you've ever played those super low notes down there, you know, at the 16th, 18th, 20th you're going to quickly realize that those notes sound like trash and they're not, and they're usually not even properly intonated because right. it's not that the guitars aren't set up properly, but it's just because the, um, those strings vibrate at strange frequencies when they get closer to the, um, to the pickups and stuff, especially yep. when, they, and that's the way to get them closest to the pickups is to fret way down. There. Right. So, um, just, you know, food for thought, things to keep in mind. Like when I, I know Tony Iommi used to do it. He used to play like power chords and stuff at 12th and 14th fret um, on the on the low E. Tune down to C, no less. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not typical. 
And and no. there are reasons why that's not typical. For him, he had like this neurotic thing about that making a thing sound heavier. And I suppose when you're tuned down to C, um, using, you know, like eights or nines, like that might have a particular impact on the sound. But in my estimation, usually what you get is a muddy mess. So, yeah. Yep. And intonation problems like crazy. I don't care how well you set your guitar up up there. Yeah, because the the, the string lengths are just not they're not going to work yep. out in that. I don't think it's actually intonation. I think it's the pickups usually interact. Yep. And I and I know certain guitars that's more of a problem than others. So that probably has to do yeah. with pickups. Well, you're not getting a lot of spin at that point. Right. I don't right. care how far you turn tuned it down. You're not getting a lot of spin. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. um, so I was going to say, oh, so you're getting, so you're doing this lessons and you're, yeah. are you starting, did you get some pointers on like some things to work on or? I did. I did. So some of the stuff, um, I started with like banjo roll type stuff. Working yeah. on my banjo rolls. Um, doing hybrid picking. Yep. Okay. A lot more hybrid picking. So I'm being, not being forced, like somebody's holding a whip over me into some kind of know, thing. It's just. I'm working on using the pick between the thumb and forefinger and then um, or thumb and index and then using the other two fingers to do the rest of the banjo roll. Typically, you can use your pinky, but that's not a typical finger to put into a um, not a typical Not exercise. a typical roll. No. Um, Danny Gatton does it. Yeah. Uh, or did it. Um, and yeah, I'm I, sure uh, James Burton used it, but yeah and and i i so you're talking about rolls that's different than that's different than the, what i would associate with like typical hybrid picking because a lot of times with hybrid right picking, you've got like a, a baseline going on with a treble line which is more like travis picking right right and then um, right travis picking and then that's next so once i get this hybrid picking thing down um where i'm playing a single note line right and i'm playing it three strings and whether or not I'm skipping strings is not important, but I'm th playing three strings, and that way I'm playing one with the pick and the other two with the fingers. Now, when it comes to what you're, th what I think you're thinking of, and that's when you're playing like you've got the rhythm. There's a bass rhythm going yeah. on with your mm -hmm. finger, and then you're playing the other three notes. Yeah, you might even play, be playing a chord, and you're picking right. the notes simultaneously. Correct. Um, and that's, that's a different thing. And yes, I'm using my pinky in that. That stuff's crazy. And that's, yeah. I mean, like I started experimenting with that because I've been, I've been doing those data again things. And now I'm yep. like able to do some of my own rhythms using that. And it's like, I always, I, I knew how to do it. I just never right. used it effectively. I actually, the first guy that, that turned me on to that was Eric Johnson because he would do these three part harmonies and they're and they're really it's really just major chords without the without the octave. It's like a, yep. a regular major shape or a regular minor shape without the octave. Um, and that would be the the primary um, chord that he would use. So like he used um, a hybrid picking approach where he's using the thumb and index finger on the pick, and then he's got his middle finger and his his pinky finger um, playing the actual notes. And uh, actually, a lot of times I've even found myself. Eh, I mean, yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. No, I'm not going to go into to the other idiosyncrasies. But the interesting thing about it is I've gotten to the point where now I just mute the string in between. I don't even worry about it. Um, yep. And just pick it like a regular chord. But I can still pull the other side out when I need it. And the other thing is um, doing that reinforced like some tonality things that I never, I'd never thought either. And that this is the, actually the reason that Eric Johnson does, 
does it that way because he knows that when he plays with heavy distortion or, or overdrive and fuzz, um, you lose that, that octave. It just, it just creates mud. Like your brain will superimpose that octave if there's a lot of distortion because of the harmonics that are there. And so yep. if you leave the octave out, it makes the third a lot more clear. And the third, right. as we know, is the most important note of a triad because it determines Correct. whether it's major or minor. Yep. So um, the other the other part of it is that when I tend to use more than uh, if I'm using four strings, I tend to actually use the thumb. And so I've got um, one of the things I've got to do that um, I have not been doing because I've been chewing my nails is to leave my thumbnail alone. <laughs> I don't know, because that. that's yeah that's important that whole thumbnail thing is i've never really found that to be that important i know people get it like oh yeah you well i don't thumbnail. mean to i don't mean i want to use the thumbnail as a pick that's something i don't want to do. i mean get it up there so that the fat on my fingers yeah so it like protects it because you can see by this finger right here i'm not doing a very good job of protecting it yeah so the, the yeah, it gets the, all raw around the edge there's an angle yeah i've literally cut my fingernail at an angle mm -hmm. and so some people like myself that have really soft nails my nails break that's why i chew them it's they they break off just like that you know and so um i need to use uh some clear polish to strengthen them up yeah that's another thing people don't think about when they when they get into playing guitar and i i'm sure some of our show listeners have thought about this kind of stuff but um your fingers. So I was doing, I actually, I, I guess I should start by talking about what I was doing today. Um, I was right. on the floor on my hands and knees all day. Actually, I've got a 10 by 10 section of tile that I took up um, a couple of weeks ago and I got to get the thin set up, which is uh, like this mortar stuff that's underneath the tile. It actually holds the tile yeah. in place. I was talking about ceramic tile, not, um, not uh, linoleum tile or anything like that. So um, I had to get down and I had to, to scrape this up. So the way you, there are a couple of ways you can approach this. You can use a, um, uh, to call a demolition uh, tool, which is basically jackhammer, um, a small right. scale jackhammer, or you could do it the good old fashioned way. And since I figured, oh, it's just a 10 by 10 section, like I'll just take it out with actually it's not even 10 by 10, it's five by five. It's like a, it's like 10 square feet. It's it's small. Uh, and I had to go in there with a hammer and a chisel. And it's this <laughs> this weird flat chisel that my dad's had for years. He handed it to me uh, a couple weeks ago. He said, this will probably help you with, with the thin set. So I, yep. I started on this project this morning at about 9 a.m. Um, by by 11, my hands hurt so bad, I took a break. Um, and then I came back and I attacked it some more about two hours later. And I was able to get, because you're basically just chipping away at concrete. I mean, that's essentially what this is. Um, right. I mean, it's it's nightmarish doing this. And, and my hands hurt so bad. I just sat there and I thought to myself, like, I can't do this. I'm a guitar player. Like, I can't, I can't injure or damage my hands like this because I need right. these. Yeah. And um, uh, the other thing, the other thing people don't think about is, um, well, um, not to interrupt too much, but uh, how soft that makes your hands. Yeah. Because of the sweat, you were probably wearing gloves, right? No, I wasn't wearing gloves. Oh. I, yeah. yeah, and and that's the thing. I'm already starting to form. Well. Actually, I don't think I am going to get a blister. I think I narrowly avoided that. Um, and it's, you know, so you're talking about your nails and like the things you need to do to protect your hands as a guitar player, you know, 
look, our hands are, are not dainty. I mean, we, we, we rub our fingers across steel strings that are basically gritty um, and we push really hard on them. You know, it, it, it's not like our hands are not, you know, able to handle this stuff. But you got to be careful with things like your fingernails. And and I've had um, lately, they had this thing where I get bruises on the, the tips of my fingers from playing um, from playing guitar. And you know it's from playing guitar because it only hurts when you're playing guitar. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's how I got there. Um, so part of me, I you know, we were, we were talking about string gauge a couple weeks ago. We were talking about nines and tens and i'm like i'm a big fan of tens i like to fight my guitars a little bit i like to i like to feel precision because i have to really manhandle them um and i think i may actually switch to eight to nines not eights oh god no um i don't need rubber bands uh but i might switch to nines just because um my hands are are obviously getting some abuse because i play pretty aggressively um, the other thing I, the, the other side of that approach is I may not switch. I may just try to play with a lighter hand, a lighter, uh, fretting hand to try and right. uh, alleviate some of that. Um, who was it? I think it was the, the guitar player for, um, Megadeth. And I forget what his name is right now. The, oh, uh, the current um, lead guy. Not oh, the current lead yeah, guitar but, player? Not yeah. Mustang. Yeah. I forget what his name is. Um, he's from, he's from South America, I think. Um, but he was he did a video where he's sitting down with Ole England and he was talking about um um one of the tips that he gives people is like try to barely fret the note. Like you want to find where the note doesn't really ring out properly when you pick it and then play just enough that it will. You know, like I, I, I never really thought about doing it that way, but he's saying like if you can play an exercise and you can make all the notes sound like crap, you know, when yep. you when you do that. Then you know just the amount of pressure that you need to put on. That you order. need. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, um, Kiko, Kiko, Larero, Larero. Yeah. Larero. Yep. That's the guy. And he's a monster player too. And he's a jazz oh, yeah, fusion player playing in Megadeth. Yeah. It's hysterical. Awesome. Um, cause, cause I was listening to his record after he did the interview and I, and, you know, cause I'm like, I'm a reasonable Megadeth fan. Um, yeah. but I, uh, I, they mentioned in the interview, like he's a jazz fusion player. I'm like, no. So then I went and I went and listened to some of his stuff. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> he totally is yep. like right up my alley. Um, dude, did you watch those clips from old Stumpy? Yes. Yeah, I watched your clips. Um, I kind of want to ask for, for an honest assessment before I say anything. And yeah. then I'll I'll fill you in on the details. So what did you think? I liked it. I, I was listening today. You said that you were getting, uh, you know, getting a little more dirt in the band. Um, yeah. So what ended up happening is I uh, I was laughing because uh, nobody said anything yesterday. But yeah. um, every time I go there, I just turn my gain up like one peg. Yep. And uh, every time I do rehearsal, and it's just gotten to the point where I'm like playing with my normal regular sounds, and. Uh, Nobody's saying anything, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Although yeah. I will admit that I probably need to dial it back because it didn't really fit that well in the context of what we were doing. Um, and it was a rehearsal. Like I wasn't going to make a big deal out of it and try to set up tones right. and stuff during the middle of rehearsal. But um, it, 
I feel very constrained in that band in the, in a number of ways. Um, and I, I wouldn't feel that way. If I was you, I would open up more because I don't think they're holding you back. I think the only thing holding you back is you thinking that they're holding you back. No, that, I mean, that, that's a, that's a more personal conversation that we can have behind closed doors, but, um, it, and that's not the way I feel. Um, I just kind of feel like, um, I guess I don't feel myself a lot when I'm, when I'm playing their music, I feel yeah. like I'm stepping out of my shoes, which is a good thing, like getting out of my comfort zone, but it's also like, I'm an artist and I don't necessarily feel like this is the right thing for what I'm doing. Um, that being said, I enjoy it. It's fun. So I'm going to keep doing it, but, um, and I'm sure that'll go away with time. I'll feel more comfortable with it. It yeah. and we don't rehearse a lot, like once a month. Um, this is the way I would look at it. Sometimes to get, to be more creative on the side where you want to be creative, you have to, find things that that force you into a, a hole yeah yeah so, you have to put constraints on yourself right you put constraints on it that's the one thing that they're doing for you is they're putting constraints on you in a place and you can take creativity and shoe i, I don't want to say shoehorn it but put it into what you're doing with them because you can build it around the constraints that you have within the musical structure that they provide um this, the, the the strange thing is I get this vibe and it's I'm I'm sure I'm imagining it like this is my neuroticism playing into this but I get this vibe that right they're all a little bit intimidated um to talk to me about you know like what they want and that's fine like just tell me what you want like it's not a big deal um but I do I, there have been some times where it's like, could you try, could you try to do this? Or like, could you try to do that? And it's, and it's almost like they don't really want to verbalize what they're really looking for. You know, you feel like they're they kind of holding the curtain in front of what they're really saying. Like they're, they're trying they to be nice. Be able but to. Yeah. Sometimes, it's a possibility. Sometimes people are, uh, because, well, there's two things. One, you're obviously, and I'm not trying to, blow up your ego here but you're obviously a step above them in musicianship and um so even though you've been living in the minor world your step to the major world has not been that that the the learning curve was not that great where if they even tried to do what you're doing it would be but the other side of it is what you might try to do um this is only my suggestion sit down and listen to some airplane um, or I should say, yeah, airplane, not not Jefferson Starship airplane. No, totally I love, I love Je- I Michael Je- Bolton. Stuff. Yeah, I love Jefferson. Or not Michael Bolton. <laughs> Michael Bolton. Yeah, not Michael Bolton, my friend. Michael. Wow. Could you imagine Michael Bolton singing like you know? Um, uh, I'm trying to think like a, a song that would be like, White Rabbit. Yeah, White Rabbit. There you go. Michael Bolton singing White Rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not what I was thinking of. Um, I would like to see that Michael Bolton. Somebody send yeah. him a somebody send him a thing. We want to see him sing White Rabbit. We should be able to get a hold of him. or somebody to love that. That's right, <laughs> somebody to love. Um, uh, there's, I, I was thinking of Balin, obviously, but 
<laughs> bowling, bowling, Jesus. <laughs> I can't pronounce anything tonight. <laughs> Pew. Oh. Oh, jeez. Well, they're not going to oh. be on the show anytime soon. Well, Mark, well he, dead, since so. he passed away, yeah, I, I, have I think dead, I'm okay. So. I don't think he's going to be on the show. But, um, you know, it, yeah, Marty, Marty, Marty Schwartz. <laughs> oh, God, anyway, I you think know he should just quit about. at this point. <laughs> That's it. Done. <laughs> yeah. No, but listen to uh, like uh, early airplane. Um, Obviously, your Zeppelin side is is already there. Listen to some of the some of the tracks like Barnyard Stomp or yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that type of thing. And I would, if I was you, I would literally sit down with some old Danny Gatton or some Chet Atkins or uh, I, I laugh because like all of these things are on like speed dial in my phone right now. <laughs> see, you're already there. <laughs> And it, it's funny because I, I mentioned them, and you're already like, "Yeah, I got yeah, me, de- I'm me deep in that right now." Like that's that's right where I'm at, and which is a good thing because yeah, it shows I'm on the right track. But I mean, um, yeah, because that's really the 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 kind of music, unless unless these guys are tone deaf, that's the kind of stuff that um, one airplane comes from the same group of people, the the same people sitting around and jamming. The Grateful Dead, yeah, Jefferson yeah. Airplane, Carlos Santana, um, the early, early journey before Steve Perry joined the band. So um, the the real hurdle I have um, with, and this is part of the reason why I don't really volunteer a whole lot, like in terms of you know suggestions for the band, but like the real yeah. hurdle I have is they want to be, they want to play like songs that people relate to right and that they're all right. instantly like recognizable and gratifying or whatever yeah and i think that they get this like immediate feedback from the audience that that's what the audience wants to hear but in reality we've had people come up to us after shows and be like i that one really obscure song that you guys did you know that um yeah so like we play this song snake farm which is uh yep. you know it's a it's a youtube thing like and and we've had people come up you guys wrote that no you know, but they they, they <laughs> enjoy that more than they do us playing like you know the weight from the band or, um, uh, or some of the other like you know top forty stuff we do. Um, but you can see like I actually really enjoy when we do something like um, um, a temptation song, you know, and I'm I'm doing right. I'm doing you know we're we're doing a jam band thing with it, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I do think like we need to vary our tempos more. They have a whole thing about like, we don't want to make it down tempo because then people, you know, people won't enjoy it. It's like, no, people want variation. They don't want, they don't want to sit through two hours of somebody like doing deep blues music or two hours of somebody doing like the fastest punk music ever. They want variation. Like, Right. I can't think of a show that I've gone to where it's just intensity or no intensity for right. two or, hours. Uh, unless uh, right. I was going to say, unless it's like a half hour opening band. Or yeah. Something yeah. Like yeah. That, where you could get away with it. Because um, it's in a short, because it's a short stint. Right. You know, that's right. That's right. Um, and then people get a break before the next band gets up. We do. A, we do have a couple of originals that um, Kyle's written. And I think if we work more on those originals, I think those could turn into something that people would really enjoy listening to. Um, but, but I, I told him, I said, if you're going to do that, 
being that we're trying to actually like book cover gigs and that kind of thing, you want to play like one or two originals a night. You don't want to play like, right. you know, two hours worth of originals and then, you know, right. an hour worth of covers. Like you want to be yeah, you could, opposite. In three right. hours, yeah, in three hours you could fit three originals, maybe four in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Long as they fit within the style of music that you're playing. And they, de and they um, definitely do. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was, you know, uh, like I said, I've, many times I watched a lot of documentaries and I was watching this thing about Chicago, right? The, the band, Chicago Transit. Right, right, right. And um, they were talking about the fact that when they were, when they first started out, you know, they were running around playing these cover songs and then they said, you know what, we can't stand this crap. We, you know, and so they went out and they just started playing whatever they wanted and they were doing like Frank Zappa and stuff like this. And, um, the people liked it, but the club owner was ticked at them, and they got to a knockdown, dragout fight. And the guy said, "You'll never, you'll never work in this town again." And blah blah blah. Well, obviously, we know how that ended. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I bet you the club ain't there anymore, but Chicago is. But, but that's the thing. I, I so somebody in in I don't remember somebody in the in the uh, the last rehearsal said something, and I bit my tongue. But they said like you know covers are where the money's at. And I laugh because I'm like, it's only partially true. Like, if you want right. real money, then you better start thinking bigger than that. You know, and, yes. and if you yep. want small money, like 400 bucks a gig, that's when you start thinking small. Right. And I. Right. right. Well, I'll give you an example of somebody. Tim Pierce. Tim Pierce is a cover guy, but he's also the guy that created a lot of the, the riffs and licks that you cover and he covers to this day. So I, I had to laugh because he put up a, um, he put up a thing because the Grammys was a couple weeks ago, I guess. <clears throat> and uh, I don't follow that stuff anymore, but um, he was talking about the stuff and he, and he was the original guitarist who did um, uh, some stuff with um, uh, who's the guy that did uh, the letter and he did a uh, little help from my friends cover. Um, Cocker, yeah, Joe, Joe Cocker. Cocker, and he was on Joe Cocker's album, and he did these parts, and then he was playing his own parts on the cover for the Grammy night when they, when somebody else was singing Joe's. It was just funny. Uh, well, and that's come full circle. So yeah, no, but but I think part of like his situation, J uh, Tim Pierce, I can imagine someone like him playing in a bar band for fun. Be, yes. and, and and just because like they really enjoy the songs and they're fine with playing the same <clears throat> songs and they want to nail them and do them right and i get that right. and that and i totally have fun with that too i'm just saying if you're gonna if you're gonna be motivated um if you're motivated enough that you think your art is saleable um get out there and do it now i will right. say this i think the bar is a hell of a lot higher if you're gonna make original songs because you have to captivate the audience without them knowing the material, um, That's right? Which means you gotta be, you gotta have your your A game when you're going out. I don't. I mean, I've had people tell me that I'm got my A game that way. I don't feel like I do. Um, but that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. It's like, well, I'm young enough that I can still, I could still do something with this. Now, I means that that's part right. of part of my plan is to do some things and some personal things also to help me with that situation. Um, but uh, I kind of feel like, you know, doing these other things like playing an old stumpy and if another gig came up and I could, I could swing it, I could do that too, um, are all just stepping stones to 
make the other thing work, you know, and to, and to make my own, my own, you know, music like that much better and to push me in the direction I need to go to actually play this in front of bigger audiences and maybe start booking some regular gigs and maybe getting representation and doing those things that I need to do to get on the path towards like doing regional touring or, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, I I know a guy that he's, he's an open mic host, but, Mm -hmm. um, Actually, I'll, I'll mention my name, Jack Byron, right? So he um, he's just released his first record. He's done two records, but this is his first. Um, I don't want to call full length. It's an EP, but it's like this is his first professionally produced one. It's a it's really good. It's called Two Travelers. So if you guys are interested, you can look up Jack Byron, Two Travelers. Um, it's on all the streaming services. Um, and he's uh, he's an acoustic. Uh, I don't want to say folk. He's he's. He's an acoustic songwriter and um, he's got representation. He plays every single night almost and all over the, the, you know, Illinois, Northern Indiana, um, sometimes Wisconsin area. Um, And he's got, he's booking gigs and he's getting paid and this is his primary job. Okay. Right. right. Um, I don't think it will be my primary job. Um, but I do, I could definitely see myself doing a little bit of travel and playing at different places and that kind of thing regionally. Um, maybe yeah. getting, uh, you know, putting out a record that people are actually interested in um, and maybe raises some, you know, guitar eyebrows at some point. Um, and I'm, if I don't get that far, that's fine. I don't get that far. But I right. I feel like I owe it to myself to at least attempt it. Um, right. And so that's where I'm kind of headed. I'm not pretentious enough to think I'm good enough that I will actually achieve all of these things. But um i am pretentious enough to try it <laughs> um correct so that's kind of where i'm like that's where my focus lies right now and knowing people like that getting representation is not that hard like it's not that far no. off you no, gotta find not. the right person and you gotta find people to believe in what you do and and keep those people around because that's that's essentially how you build a following i mean um, right. i think that's the real trick though even for a cover band so that's what we were. T- I was trying to point out. It's like cover bands make four hundred bucks a gig because they don't really build the same kind of following that uh, that a an originals band does. Because an originals band, if you want to see the music, the only way you're going to do it is go see the originals band. You know what I mean? Like you can't. There's not going to be any, anybody covering my music locally. It's not going to happen. So you would have to go see me, right? Um, and I think that speaks volumes, but you have to have an attractive product. And I think that's the real tough part is because a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people. So in my position, I'm, I would say that my music leans towards a virtual. So rock guitar type stuff. Right. Um, right. And I think a lot of people in this that, that do that kind of music, they're very technically talented. Most of them are way more technically talented than I am. Think about your Michelangelo videos and people like that. Um, right. they're way more technically talented than me, but they may not have all the other pieces that go along with it. And so their music in a lot of people's minds is not that great. Um, mm-hmm. but people still go see them cause they're, you know, super technically talented. And I kind of want to be in the middle somewhere. I would rather people like to go see the songs. People like to see the, the show. People like to see the, you know, the, the little bit of technique that I do display in a tasteful way. Um, right. And hopefully that I can put all those pieces together and it works. It's a winning formula. Yeah. Um, but I will say this for me to achieve this, uh, the selection of a drummer and bass player 
and or singer, which is also a possibility. I have I have somebody in mind um, is going to be critical to how this works, because if you don't have all the pieces, it's not going to work. You know, you have to I, I, I can't carry a two hour set of original music by myself which it's hard enough to do 30 minutes or 15 minutes. And these last couple of nights I've gone out to open mics, I've been, I've done two sets. So it's 30 minutes. Um, But I feel like when the places are busy, I can Mm -hmm. capture the audience more and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I, people turn heads and they watch me, which means that something must be going right. Um, Granted, Or that I just suck that bad that they're like, oh god. Um, there, there is a person who does it. I mean, there's a, there's a, there is a, a person, a man from your area that does it. He carries the night. You know who we're talking about? Who are we talking about specifically? He he plays a white Les Paul um, with a red button. A bucket head. Yeah, he's not from Chicago. I thought he was from uh, Midwest. No, well, he might be originally, but he's an L.A. guy. Oh. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I always thought he was from the Midwest. No, hey, anything east, anything west of of uh, North Carolina. <laughs> Dude, have you seen some of the the crazy? I have. What's that? Have you seen some of the crazy Buckethead stories over the year? Over the years, no. So apparently, no. Um, when he auditioned for Red Hot Chili Peppers, which was a thing uh, back in the late nineties, they pulled up at the airport and he had the bucket on and the mask. And got in the car and drove to the studio and stuff. And it wasn't until after they did the interview that he, the interview and uh, rehearsal or whatever, that he revealed who he was and like all that shenanigans. Because if it wasn't going to go well, he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't going to reveal who he was to them. Like, oh yeah, he is from he is from Southern California. It's, okay. it's, it, what a, I mean, what a straight. <clears throat> could you imagine? You're you're the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? So like you're one of the biggest bands in the world at that time, and you're auditioning yep. replacement guitar players, and they end up with Dave Navarro. Um, but but yeah. like you're auditioning people, and this guy comes to your audition, you fly him to you, and he comes into the audition wearing a KFC bucket on his head and a face mask. Now you yeah. probably know who he is, but you're still like, you really came to the audition like this. <laughs> you know, um, and then have him have you sign an NDA on his identity. Yep. Um, yep. And there's been some other crazy stuff too. Like there was a, um, at one point there was an an article uh, floating around from a, from a reporter that claims that they were invited to his house for dinner, and so he proceeded to serve them like KFC with the bucket on and the yep. thing, and like it was the whole thing. like the whole article was written around that you, like, you totally know that's not what happened you know but that that's what the way they sold the article right um and there was some you know there was some factual information in there that was kind of like mixed in but it was very tongue-in-cheek and 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 everything of surrounding that guy up until like the mid 2000s actually probably the teens was like that it was completely like half fabricated ridiculousness. There were stories about him working on Chinese democracy where they built him a chicken coop in the studio. That he had, oh my he God. had to have a chicken coop that he could go hang out in. And inside the chicken coop, there was a 
like a selection of uh, horror movies. He is truly living the persona outside of the uh, <clears throat> outside of the bit. So that I, let's face it, that generates press. It generated press for for who um, knows if it's real. I, does it mean right. need it doesn't this, matter? You know, it doesn't matter. And he isn't going to debunk it. No, and actually, if you think about it, it totally makes sense with the Chinese democracy story because that record cost so much money to make because it took so right. long that you know it kind of fits with the narrative. So nobody's going to yeah, doubt it. Yeah, it fits with the ridiculous, right? It ridic- fits with the ridiculousness of everything that was going which, on. Which so nobody went. I wonder if that happened. No, people were like, "Oh yeah, that happened." No, so you know, <laughs> and that's and that's the funny thing about that that particular record is like there have been all these numbers thrown around over the years i'm willing to bet that record was no more expensive than any hip-hop record that gets produced today and i'm willing to right. bet that no work had been done on it save for maybe some songwriting sessions that were probably tracked um yep until you know a couple of years before it's released maybe a year before it's release. right now they claim that um that the guys that are actually on the record like they claim that yeah well it was all charted out and like we came in and you know, basically, I, I even had audio for the, the drummer. was like, I had audio from previous drummers. And he's like, basically, I just had to play their parts, but they wanted me to play the parts because they wanted my groove on it. So right. it was all charted. And he had these big charts on the wall he was playing. And um, they had a projector there and this whole thing. Um, and you think about it. And even so, I, I just don't understand how you spend that amount of money making a record. Because they said something like $100 million. How? Well, I think I mean you could, I, build, I a stu- you could build a studio for that. That's ridiculous. Right. I doubt There's very no much. Way. I I highly doubt it costs that much money. I think it was more about first of all, if you were if you were the people involved again, why would you want to debunk any of the myths? No, just let them roll because it's going to sell records. It's right. It's it's all publicity. It's one hundred percent publicity. I'm, I'm looking up uh, – I want to see how many records they sold. And the, and well, I think we've talked about this record before on the show. Um, yeah, well, you hit it. we have, but not not the, at this So this was a really weird time. record for them. So it was hotly anticipated. People wanted this record, right? It had been talked about for years. And I think I think there were there were two groups of people that wanted this record. There were the people that wanted to tear it down and make fun of it. Because yep. it's so long and it's like, you know, obviously basically an actual solo project and yep. this whole like thing. And then the other people who were like actual legitimate Axel Rose slash Guns N' Roses fans that wanted to hear what, what the hubbub was all about and why it took so long. Right. Um, right. And so they claim that they were working on this record back in um, – what was 2006 like, no, dude like 95 or 96 oh, when, when they were starting to write music when slash was still in the band um and none of that went anywhere so then they had like 50 to 60 songs in development and then they went through this whole process of whittling down songs and apparently they recorded an entire copy of chinese democracy with the new band like that's a whole other thing that happened that will probably never see the light of day um and so then, you know, then he, he shows up with Buckethead at that, that uh, Rock and Rio or whatever, which was, yep. which was initially kind of poking fun at um, 
slash slash because they were they were having this like war of words when that happened. But anyway, um, everybody knows Bucket has an incredible guitar player. He actually was a perfect pit, a fit to fill in. Um, then they did a tour in the in the two thousands that I saw, and then. Yep. That was like 2004. Yeah. And they played like two songs from Chinese democracy that didn't sound anything like the finished product. Um, nope. And then they did, they actually went and they actually did the sessions in 2007. I believe the album came out in 2008. Um, right. And then there was some conversation about how they were going to do another record, like right after the, the tour ended, which the tour went on for like a year and a half. Um, yeah, and he had like he had Buckethead on there. Was it Gus G? Dude, get somebody else. No, he had some. He had uh, Brian May was on it. Um, yep. Buckethead was on it. Um, of course, uh, he had uh, Robin Fink. Oh, um, and the uh, the other guy, the other um, uh, Fair. Th- yeah, Fail? Uh, you're talking about Bumblefoot, Ron Thal. Bumblefoot, Ron Thal, Ron Thal. That's it. Oh. Which you know, Bumblefoot was underground. As as incredible yes. players he was, he was underground until he joined Guns N' Roses for like Guns the, the three years that he was in that band. And yeah. now, like, I, I he's one of the A listers as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, um, he's in Sons of Apollo. If you're if you're interested in hearing what he's up to now, um, yeah. So this all happens. The record comes out. There's a lot of controversy. They were actually so nobody knew when the record was coming out. They were they were intentionally hiding it to build to build um. Uh, hype for it, but the other thing is they they actually were were shopping it around because they wanted an exclusive album deal. I think the um I think the record company initially knew it was going to stink, like not stink and isn't being bad, but like there was no way this record was going to sell, um because it just had such a reputation around it. Um, so yeah. they were like, well, we'll we'll make an exclusive deal with a with a company, um and like like a a sales venue, and they can get their purse of the proceeds. It'll only be available through them, and then we can. We cannot worry about it. Like then we'll then we'll they'll help offset the cost. So, um, the the album leaks out about five months before its release, and the funny thing was, so like some of the tracks that leaked out were not the final versions. They don't sound anything like the final versions. So they're clearly like the um the version that they showed the band. Like this is what we're gonna play. Um, that they wrote during those songwriting sessions with people like Brian May and Buckethead and those kind of guys. Um, and so then this record comes out and and uh, the critical reception for it was like, well, you know, if this had been released in the 90s, in the late 90s, this would have been like the record. Like people would have yeah. lost their damn minds. But because uh, it took so long, it, it's not as good as it could have been. And actually, they they compared it to you know Phil Spector and all these other different things. And I mean, honestly, like the record's really good. I I, I think it's going to be one of those ones in a couple of years that people are going to listen back to it and go, you know what, we didn't give this a fair shake. Um, and if you even look right now, I'm looking at the uh, the uh, review scores. Like all music has it like five stars out of six. AV Club has it a minus. Blender's got it, you know, five stars out of six. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a B minus, which who cares about them? Um, MSN Music, that really, that's not really. Pitchfork gave it a five and five point eight out of ten. But that's a hipster magazine, yeah. of course they're going to say that. Um, yeah. Q is two, you know two stars out of five. Rolling Stones gave it four out of five stars, and Spin Magazine gave it seven out of ten. 
So, I mean, those are pretty respectable reviews for a record that was going to be a colossal flop, right? Um, and Best Buy purchased 1.3 million copies of Chinese Democracy before release and pledged not to return unsold copies. Um, so they had an exclusivity deal. Um, and it it sold – so 1.3 million in its first – I'm looking to see what the actual billboard – 261,000 copies in its first week, which was below expectations. They were expecting a million. And then yep. um, it dropped from 3 to 18 on the Billboard chart, which is 78% drop. And um, they were complaining because they're like, well, Axel's you know, lack of promotional appearance was the reason for it. Um, and then, of course, 21,000 copies in week six. So it'd be interesting to see where it's at now. I'm hoping that they have... Um, 8 million streams to 24 million. So it's, it is getting a, a re-listen now that the reunion tour had happened and all that other thing and all that other right. stuff. But I would, I would love to see the actual numbers, like how much it's sold over its life. It's gotta be over a million copies. Now it's gotta be, I would suspect two or three million at this point. Well, it's been, yeah, so it's been, it came out in I'm, 2008. So yeah. So it's, it's, it's sold a million in the States and 300,000 in, UK. Oh, you found them. And then, yeah, and then, the, and then a hundred thousand in Japan and a hundred thousand in Germany. Yeah. So those are your certified unit sales, right? Um, and you got to remember, other than that, this, this record also came out in the time of streaming too, which probably also hurt it. Right. Seventy thousand in Australia. Yeah, and they didn't know how to count streams back. Then. Yeah, no, not at all. And actually, just based on the fact that they had uh, when they did the the not in this lifetime tour, they had. Um, digital streams from 8 million to 24 million and 7,900 additional copies sold. That tells you right there that there was like a clear bump when they got back together. People like wanting to know what happened during that time period. Um, now, here's an interesting thing. So imagine you're Slash, right? And yep. everybody who is a Guns N' Roses fan turned on Axel for that record. Like, oh, they suck and like they're not they're not good enough at guitar and like they don't have you know they don't have any of the the um whatever the 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 mojo that that you know the original band had and stuff they get the band back together right well basically the band back together because as far as the as far as the audience because they don't even know there were other players in that band they don't they, the only people they care, they care about, about is duff slash and duff is even like questionable um, yeah, I think the exactly. I think the vast majority of people that are into Guns N' Roses only well not the, the people that were buying tickets right, um, right. were the people that were like oh yeah Slash and Axel right um, and so they get back together and they do this monster reunion tour and they made an insane amount of money on that like neither of them ever have to work ever again there I, I mean um, and now that this is happening like you get signed up your your slash you get the phone call right you're like yeah i guess we'll do it like i'm, I'm gonna get a payday it's fine um and then all of a sudden you go out and then the, you get the set list and it's got songs from chinese democracy on it because if you haven't listened to chinese democracy some of that guitar playing makes slash look ridiculous like really bad like there's no way that he can do some of that stuff so i don't know how they handled that whether they brought in a ringer um, right. And they had three guitars on stage like they did during the Chinese democracy era or whether like 
I, I mean, I know people have gone to their shows. If you've been to the show, like in the group, please let us know. I'm not interested enough to go watch it on YouTube. Um, I, I think, I think honestly, I think they probably should have retired the Guns N' Roses name when they did Chinese Democracy. Like in retrospect, yeah. I fought against that like when I was younger, but I, I really think they should should have retired the name, and it should have been an Axl Rose record. And I think th- I think it would have sold a lot more copies if it was an Axl Rose record. And then yeah. they could he could have just moved on and stayed artistic. And now he's yeah, kind of stuck in the let's do another Guns N' Roses record thing. I think that was the um, the 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 thing that a lot of people forget is that you know people didn't want to listen to it because they were ticked off that it was not really a Guns N' Roses record. Slash wasn't on it. So it wasn't Guns N' Roses. And Slash was out there putting out music, not to say that he was selling a bazillion copies, but at least he put out enough records that he kept food on the table and uh, small rodents for his his constrictor to eat. I would love to know. So they have diamond records, right? Like they're they're that level. 10 million. They're that level. And I think Appetite's double diamond. Um, yeah, and I, we looked it up at one point in the show. So these guys don't have to do anything, okay? No. So uh, uh, well, Slash could have literally just shot up heroin and and been fine. I mean, I know that's a terrible well, thing to say. I don't obviously wish that he would have done that, but I'm just saying, no. like, he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to dust himself off and like turn himself around. Those guys are making so much damn money on residuals that they can have a Ferrari a year. You know, I mean, honestly, when you look at the fact that these records are still selling, I don't I know I bought at least two copies of Appetite for Destruction um, and and User Illusion and all that stuff. Th- those records still sell and they have a big enough cult following even today that they're making, you know, they're making I want to I want to put like a they're making C-list money today, which is more than, you know, more than enough to live on. Right. Right, and so, um, this is a big payday for them, like to do the to do the tours, uh, and it's oh. the way I can really point this out to everybody is where's the record? Um, they've been touring, I think it's I think since 2017 together. Where's the record? There isn't one, and right. and there has been, as far as I know, not even a rumor of them going into the studio to make a record which is very telling and it's like we're just doing this for the money and we're not really we have no desire to try and make more out of this than we already have now cool thing though is i i just read uh, the other day that they're actually going to do a couple dates with uh smashing pumpkins uh oh, could yeah? you imagine that concert ticket like what that's going to cost uh, no hundreds <laughs> yeah probably 200 bucks a seat Three to, oh yeah, that's the yeah for the it's three to five hundred dollars, uh, you know, uh, well over a thousand dollars for decent seats in the front, you know, down in the. But people will pay it. Yeah, so so here, so here's an actual reference to there being a new album done, a uh, new album for 2020, and it's like it's a rumor, um, you know, with a band like that, if something were happening, it wouldn't be a rumor. They literally would announce it because and, and and Axel said this around the time of Chinese democracy. He said, we'll tell you when it's going to come out when we're damn good and ready for it to come out. 
Um, we don't make commitments. He got he actually sued somebody over it because they said that he had told him that it was going to be out on such and such date. And he's like, that was not an official press release. And yeah. and uh, it was a that he drug them through the mud. He said, you know, we'll tell you as soon as we know, because they were that was during the time period where they were trying to find someone that would pick up the album for distribution as a direct deal. If you remember, that was the same time that ACDC record came out that was distributed through Walmart. And this was not an uncommon thing. The mega acts yeah. were doing this because they were in that lim weird limbo where streams were starting to take over and they didn't know how to fix their album sales problem. So the way you did that was you got somebody like Best Buy or Walmart or Target to cover that cost. Um, obviously, bands aren't doing this anymore. I mean, there are, but like right. it's not as big a thing. Um, right. So it didn't work out the way people had anticipated. And I wonder if Chinese democracy was kind of the like, see, we told you kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. Um, and I and I think it's it's sad because with as talented as those guys are and were, yep. Um, yep. they couldn't pull more out of what they did. Um but I think a lot of it has to come with the fact that they were stuck with their image and um, yeah. they were, they all basically admitted they weren't going to do anything unless they could make something better than what they had already done, which is why they didn't. And I think that's part of the reason why Chinese democracy took so long was because they didn't want, Axel was not going to make the same record. And if you listen to, to Chinese democracy, it is nothing like what came before it. Just like, Use your uh, use your illusion one and two were nothing like appetite for destruction, right. and I mean, for what it's worth, that's artistic. I mean, um, it it would be nice if we had more bands that were thinking in that, you know, that mindset than we do today. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it would be nice. Um, you know, the thing is, so we've talked about. The fact that I came up at a different time. Somebody asked a question on one of the podcasts that I listened to. What is an album you would listen to front to back? And I don't think it, that I could name a band today that like that that is a pop act. When I would know what album, sure, that sure. their music came from. Like if you can't, if you ask me where. Of a Post Malone or a Katy Perry or whatever um, album was. I was yeah, like, I, I but no I don't. Think, I don't think pop music was always the fodder but, for listening to the whole record. No, no, I'm not saying it is. So, if if you were to say to me, you know, what was the last album you could listen to front to back? I would have to say it would have probably been um, a long time ago. It would have been Pink Floyd, and it would have been uh, either of and and not as long as you might think. It would have been either of the uh, um, momentary lapse of reason, or uh, uh, what was the one that came out of that? Out after I wasn't that, a um, huge fan of that one. Of uh, the one that the Pulse tour was based on. Um, so, I thought that was momentary lapse of reason. No, that was that was um, uh, delicate sound of thunder tour. The Pulse tour came from. Um, oh, Okay. Oh, the division bell. Oh, right, right, right. So, yeah, and I can listen to those front to back. Now, 
Are they my favorite albums to listen to, Ed Dad? Probably not. Um, um, but if you were to ask me a pop act, and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna come across as weird when I call these guys pop, but I think the last pop album I could listen to back to back might have been like ACDC's Back in Black or uh, uh you know something of something of that nature. Um it's it's difficult because you know there were pop guys that did release albums you could listen to back in black or back to back. Rod Stewart was doing it. Um, John Elton John was doing it. You know, you could listen to the entire Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm still and, not a fan of Elton John. I know people love him, and and God bless you. I mean, I just don't. Like, he just doesn't do anything for me when I listen to his music. Well, it just I, I don't know. Yeah, it's I'm just, just I'm just saying that it was a you know it tells the music tells a story, and the the songs were even if they weren't directly related to each other. They came in and out of each other. And before um, uh, Chicago went all poppy in the mid-80s, you could listen to Chicago end-to-end before um, Hard to Say I'm Sorry and all that stuff came out. All right. I'm going to so, yeah. lay a couple of records on you that, that um, I've listened to end-to-end a lot, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm pulling it well. So one of them's... Um, Mastodon's once more around the sun, right? So mm-hmm. uh the record that came after it, Emperor of Sand, I don't think this is good. Um, and the record that came before it, which I believe is a hunter, is it's good too. And yep. I'll listen to it cover to cover, but I think Once More Around the Sun is like a true album album, right? Right. Um, where yeah. it was designed to be listened to that way. Um Gojira's uh, Magma, the most recent one, it's good. It's worth listening to all the way through. Um, and L- L'Enfant Sauvage is good too, but uh, I think Magma's the one, right? And then Rival Sons, uh, Hollow Bones. Yeah, but you got to remember, you're talking about music. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just I, saying, I I'm just saying, like people, people pretend like the stuff isn't out there. It's just nobody's seeking it out. Oh no, no, it's not. It, it's not that it's, it's not, not going to. It's not going to get handed to us. Like we have to go look for it because who, right because we don't really have an FM radio anymore. It's not FM radio is what AM radio was when I was. It's talking. not even just it's, it's the FM corporate radio thing. It, like that's part of it, but it but that's. Music today is driven by the younger generation a lot more than it ever has been um, because that's the only people that are, you know, a saleable audience, I suppose. Um, And for us old fogies, which I'm putting myself in the same category as you at this point, um, we're only interested in music that happened 20 years ago um, or, or more, you know. And so for them to like, try to market to us in any way they're not going to do that they're just not going to push it that way um because they know that we'll turn our nose up at somebody no. that you know like rival sons or mastodon no. or any of those groups and so what the younger generation is into today is not band-based music for the most part that's like a fringe culture that exists most young people i know are way into edm or um, they're still kind of into like the, the hip hop pop stuff. Um, and, and I don't even know any young people. You, I know you. I'm not young. I'm 35 <laughs> years old, Jim. Damn. 
Well, I'm 56 this year, so young is a relative like I'm, term. I'm in the middle. I'm not young anymore. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, like my daughter will bring home stuff from that they, they play in gym class at school or whatever. And I'm like, what? You know, they see the old town road. Like, what the hell is this crap? Um, yeah, yeah. Does anybody actually play an instrument in this group? Like, you know, is it a group? <laughs> um, no, don't get me started because the Grammys this year. Just- oh, I mean, I've refused to watch. Um, All right. So let's let's talk for a minute about the, the Grammys. So Billie Eilish took home like a ton of Grammys. And so I sat down and I listened El- to yeah, Billie Eilish. Eilish. You mean? Eilish, yeah. Billie Eilish, whatever. I, I thought I thought it was a dude, okay, Billy Eilish, and then I saw that it was a girl, and, and and I'm still kind of like, what the heck did I just see? And and I saw her like on one of these radio programs where they where it was just here her and a keyboard player, uh-huh. and I thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get a different thing. I'm gonna get something musical, and I was really let down. And, and, I'm not saying that she's not good. I'm, I I know that that I'm not the the judge of all tastes of all goodness in the world. It just fell flat for me. It was boring, uh, and it was. Is it uh, is it Eilish? Or and Eilish? I'm a pop. You might be right. It might be Eilish. I think it's Eilish. I think it's, my wife is Eilish. So, um, I I think that it might be, but I think it's it's spelled E I L. Why can't they just spell it like it said? Like what the hell, people? Um. Yeah, E I L. All right, all right. So here's the deal. Billy, I, uh, I'm yeah, first L-E-I-L. off, as I just insulted many people's surname, probably. Um, here, he, here's my my take on on. That's only one L, so I don't see I, how I like how I like her be music short. better when it was Bjork. Yeah, see, yeah, Bjork, Bjork didn't do anything for me, and she's like the new wave Bjork. She's like Bjork with with less interesting. Um, Stuff. Well, that's the thing. Like, Bjork is a is an artist that you really have to like. You have to dig into to to even grasp what's going on in some of that crap. Um, and I'm, I say crap, but I mean I I listen to it right. Like, it's I I really enjoy it. Um, but it's it's a cerebral thing. And but but this is the same thing without any of the cerebralness to it, any of the weight, right. any of the the grandeur. Um, I I'm not ragging on her because of what she said about Van Halen. Like there's a lot of people in the guitar community. They're like, Oh my gosh, she insulted Van Halen. I don't care. Like who cares? cares? Um, a lot of people salt Van Halen, even guitar players who salt Van Halen. I, I would insult him. Like, <laughs> dude, take your crazy meds. Cause you need to. Um, yeah. anyway, uh, I entertained listening to the, her music because my, my wife heard me ranting and raving about like, um, the, the, you know, the younger generation thing. And I was like, well, I'm not really upset at her so much as the fact that like, we're losing sight of, you know, all these important musical figures that exist and, and should be available to be an influence for somebody should they so choose. And that, that there's no reverence there. And like, nobody really cares about what came before and nobody cares about the history of it. Then, and, and that's, that's largely getting lost in this younger generation because it's not important to, to them who made the music. It's more important that they have the song. You know what I mean? So, right. Um, I look at her and I, I listen to, to the record that won her the Grammy. Right. Um, and I, yep. I was not excited. It was, it was very boring. 
And yeah, that's what I'm saying. I didn't really feel like there was a lot of content there that I liked. Of course, that the big thing on social media is like, well, she recorded this record at home. And like, yeah, dude, I'm sure that there have been Grammys for best album that recorded were recorded in somebody's house. I mean, uh, this is not a new thing. Like, you need to understand that that is the commonplace now. Um, you want to record in a comfortable environment. The best comfortable environment is that building right outside your house that you just built where you can actually right. record stuff. Um, now obviously she's recording probably in her home because this is a low budget thing and all this. But um, I just don't – I didn't feel like she deserved the, the award she got. Album of the year for real. Um, I mean – Well, I mean – but you got to think about what she's up against. You know, it's like, okay, I'll give you an example. So my first foot race um, that I was in that my mother came came to, I came in fifth and I didn't get a trophy because I was 23. And the people who beat me, you know, were also in their early 20s. My mother came in last. She was the last person to come across the, tr to the finish line by a good 20 minutes. And she got the third place women's trophy. So I'm just saying that when you're up against the the when they put you in a group, you're only against that group. And she's she's come out against you know what the Grammys saw. I, I'm just talking reality here. Don't, no, I'm not don't laughing at you. Saying I'm not all women are slow. I'm, I'm just saying Jim's Jim's giving me crap because because he thinks I'm laughing at him. But when I tell yeah, you next in a moment. You're gonna, you're gonna, dude. You're gonna need adult diapers. It's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, probably. You're gonna have to let me take a pee break before I go. <laughs> All right, go, um, ahead, go ahead. So, I pulled up. Uh, I just googled like best albums of 2019, and Pitchfork right. comes up with the 50 best albums of 2019. So it's in reverse order. So I go down to the bottom right, and um, I I don't recognize any of the top five really, um, except maybe like Lana Pitchfork, Del Rey. Yeah which I haven't heard this record, so I can't really say anything. Um, and then I, as I scroll up, I find album number six, Bad Bunny, X100 Pre. Can you believe that that record is considered to be one of the best albums by anyone in 2019? No. I'm, I'm at number 38. I'm still scrolling down, and I have not seen a single person. Well... Mannequin Pussy is number 35. Just want to put that out there for you guys. Because because obviously they they should be Beyonce. There's so many I recognize. Attack them. I don't like it, but I recognize it. Slow Tie. I don't know if that's a band or if that's a restaurant, but they've got a record. Hey, Bon Iver. I, I haven't heard of any of these people yet. Mike. I do know a Mike. So maybe I know that guy. <laughs> Billy Ellis is on the list. 21. Oh, wait. Ariana Grande, uh, the apps. Unfortunately, I've heard of. It's funny because person. the ones we recognize, That's, we recognize them because they're like, they're like kind of infamous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Ariana Grande, isn't she the like the little Australian girl who thinks she's tough because she's like three foot two and twenty three pounds soaking wet? I'm just saying. Nick Cave, I, I want to say I that that I've heard, that I've heard of. I just. Oh, wait, I've been to a florist, so maybe I know florist. 
Um, but we're gonna we're gonna sound so ridiculous when this comes out. Like, oh my god, I'm sure these Vampire records are super Weekend. popular with a certain group of people. I've, and, I've heard of the name Vampire yeah. Weekend, although I don't know them. It's a good thing Kim Gordon got a good picture of her behind. Uh, the you're making the assumption that that's her. Yeah, me too. Uh, Billie Eilish, yeah, Billie Eilish. She was on uh, Eilish. Eilish. I, I still say that if you want to have one uh, consonant between the vowels, then the vowels are long. So, Billie Eilish, learn how to say your can name. I, can I point out something? What? This review indicates the one thing that I that I've been saying about how they select pop stars all along because they select them. Okay, that the record yeah. companies select them. Make no bones about it. This is this is our yeah, rigged game. Right, the public oh, yeah. doesn't select oh, yeah. them; they select them. That's how you get no, people like Millie Vanilli. Um, if yes. you go through this thing, and the last sentence says Ellis's career uh, is going to be fascinating to watch how Ellis's career unfolds in ten years, she will still be well under thirty. In other words, yep. the important part about this is that she will have ten to twenty years worth of music upcoming, and that we should all pay attention to it and buy them all. Just food for thought. Huh. Okay, so I recognized four or five names in there. Lana Del Rey, as you said, uh, what was her name? Uh, Beyonce? Yeah, and Bon Iver. I recognized Bon Iver. And only Bill Billie Eilish because everybody going crazy about yeah. either loving or hating her at the awards. I don't hate her. Just because I just don't think that she's got anything relevant. But if I'm looking at this top 50, good Lord, what the heck did they have to choose from? Some of these names, I'm like, really? In today's and some of these album covers in today's society? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, it's, I'm thinking it's kind of messed up, right? Yeah, I'm thinking, how come I haven't seen anybody going, oh, you can't do that? There's I'm I'm coming at you because I'm a social justice warrior. I just don't get it. Well, that's why I, that's I mean, how I felt about the Joe Morgan interview. Was like, we're gonna jump all over uh was it Ryan Adams for the you know, for for the uh, Jedi boy touching skin. No, it wasn't the Jedi boy. It was the Jedi wife touching scandal or whatever. Um, oh, that's what I like to call it. Uh, Dave Chappelle rappers for everybody. Um, <laughs> we we you know we basically like destroyed that guy's career because he had been accused of you know the Me Too by the Me Too movement, which justifiably probably was you know Ryan a, a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. I forgot where I was going with this. So we, so we get, so we jump all over, all, all over Ryan Adams because of this. Joe Morgan says, basically compares amp modeling to regular guitars, and says it's just like pornography, folks. And like I, I, I know it's not a sexist thing, but who does he sell his amps to? Because we know the primary market for boutique amplification is praise and worship, yeah. and nobody well, even was noticed. I I think the thing is okay. I and I'm not attacking that part of it. I think that the thing he's talking about is it's a person behind the curtain cannot touch it. What he's saying so he is when it comes the to the most base analogy, which indicates the quality of his character and how much he knows no, his market. It it indicates his level of his ability. You're you're coming at this because you have a you have an English background. He's a simple guy who works on amplifiers. He probably didn't go to college for for anything beyond like an associate's degree in electronics, which isn't 
exactly going to make him Mark Twain. Okay. Um, a friend of mine and I were talking about getting the F word out of my my um, uh, standard speaking. <laughs> and You're a sailor. Good luck. I, I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I said to him, I said, well, where the hell am I supposed to use the, the you know, <laughs> I, I said, uh, what word would you use in place of the F word? He goes, maybe no word at all. And we, we were talking about it in a serious way. We weren't joking around. And, and the thing is, because of some of the stuff that I'm doing for self-improvement, but for the most part, um, you know, I've used it, you know, in just about every, you know, a adjective, adverb, noun, um, you know, descriptive thing. And, and, in anything and so that you can every think portion of. of the English language. That's right. And so, and not that I don't have words outside of it. It's what it's my go-to word sometimes, depending on the people I'm standing with. <laughs> You know, I don't do it in front of children and stuff like that. Unless it was my own kids. Yeah. I, I was just going to say. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I didn't give up at that point. But the point is that that um, my kids didn't grow up using it as a, as a you know, all, all around word. They, you know, it didn't become into their vernacular um, right away. And when they did use it, when they were little, they didn't know what they were talking about. But it went out as soon as they knew. But the point is that. We, you know, he used an analogy that he hoped would reach a wide variety of people. And like it or not, pornography exists. We all want to, we all want to drape a black shroud over it in, in our lives, but it's there. Um, and a lot more people's lives than, than someone would admit. But the, but I think what he was saying is, you know, that it's a, it's a no touch. You are he. If he had put it in any other term, okay. Let me let me let me use another one. Let's say he he said it's like a rock star. Well, some people have touched a rock star. Some people have reached out. There's more people. It's more likely that talking to his community, people have have come in contact with. A movie star, a rock star, a a novelist. It's more likely that than a porn star. Okay, I'm just saying that what he did was he reached out and he said, "Look, it's like seeing that it's it's a person you could never touch. You would never be able to affect it, no matter how you you're doing it." Now he could have said, "It's like going to a movie and trying to change the movie," or it's like a Xerox, but. I don't know. I think Xerox would have been lost on some people in their age range. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think everybody now who's used a copier knows that there's still generation loss, even if it's digital. Yeah, I'm just saying um, that. No, no, no. I'm talking about. He's not. Ta he wasn't talking about. See, that's just it. He wasn't talking about generation loss. He was talking about the fact that you cannot affect the outcome. It's it's done. The the the. I, I, I don't need to argue about about what he was saying. I understand completely yeah. what he was saying. And it isn't really even what he said. And I don't care about him. Like Joe Morgan, as far as I'm concerned, I don't give a shit what he said. Oh, yeah. His his amps could fall off the face of the earth and I would not no, know. No, no, no. None no, of actually, my albums I that like, I own I kind would of be like, affected. No, I'm oh, just yeah, saying that. True, true. 
Um, I've never played one. I don't own one. I don't. I don't know anyone who owns one, and I just don't care. I think a lot of people will come to his aid and come to Rhett Scholl's aid for making the video and everybody else's aid in there to justify their own bullshit. And that's why I. That's why I wanted to talk about this on on the show. But that that's really what that's all about, right? Like, so it's it's confirmation bias, right? You got a guy who makes tube amplifiers for a living telling you, hey, tube amplifiers are better than this other thing that exists that a lot of people are switching to because I say they are. And people take that at face value, right? They don't they don't stop and they don't think about like, oh, well, Joe Morgan's saying this because Joe Morgan's income is affected by the fact that people might not buy tube amplifiers. He knows that he could yeah. destroy his own market. And, and here's the yeah. other component of this. I don't expect joe morgan to sit down in an interview and say no go buy the other guy's product right like nobody expects that no of course not. i i would hope not. nobody expects that but we sort of have this feeling in the guitar community and this is why i i bring it up that these people are real straightforward and they're straight shooters and they're not going to lie to us and they're not going to tell us things do things that they don't it's the same thing oh, of course not. it's the same thing we've been talking about with the quad cortex from neural dsp which is that Here's this product that doesn't even really exist yet. Like it right. sort of exists. And this is what's going to be in it. And you should give us your money before it comes out. Like I, I'm, I, I feel rational in saying that why would you give a company money if the product doesn't even exist yet? Like I, I, it's not a Kickstarter, right? They didn't do a Kickstarter. They did pre-orders. Right. Like that's messed up because – if you do a Kickstarter or some or GoFundMe, like there's a, kind of an implication there that this money is going to go somewhere and then hopefully it'll get kicked back to you. You know, you'll get something yep. out of it, right? Um, right. I, 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 for, for, in terms of Joe Morgan and my my feelings on him specifically, like he's just an amplifier guy, like he's like everybody else that that works in the industry. My problem with Joe Morgan's comment is more or less that the community with which he serves doesn't even notice they don't care i've spoken to people in groups who saw the video and are you know devout christians and praise and worship groups who literally didn't even register that what he said was in contradiction of their christian values and they've crucified other people for stuff like that like jhs <gasps> Who, who got who got in trouble because he was a member of IHOP, the International House of Prayer, who apparently was a homophobic group. I, I don't know if you could do. I, I don't know. I think I could. I could easily argue. Oh, my my chair just fell. <laughs> my my uh, the 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 thing that keeps chair up. I was trying to. I was trying to raise it. And it just went. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think I could argue logically that there isn't um, – how do I say this? He pointed out that there is an industry that exists that is against the, the, yeah, the, Catholic, the, the but, Christian religion. But all, let me let – me, but that, that exists. To say that it's there would be like – not to be able to say that something that they don't like is akin to saying I can't I can't acknowledge its existence. He acknowledges its existence. Ugh. He acknowledges his, its existence 
and he uses it as a way to say, and you're you're not a part of it. I get it. I mean, I get what you're saying. I just and and I see the the kind of agnosticism that goes along with that. You know, like the idea that you could remove yourself from it. Um, but the problem is he's laughing and joking about it as he's saying it. That's bullshit. I mean, he's not he's not removing himself from that comment and taking a taking an extra an abstract point of view on it. it he's participating in it by by but, being how but in what way is he participating in in in, in his in the context? He's laughing and joking about it, Jim. He, he's making light. He's joking he's making about light of it. I mean, if he were to sit there like a scientist and say, "Well, there's this thing that exists, just like you just described it. There's this thing that exists, and this and this, and well, you might be able to relate to this." He doesn't do that. He doesn't separate himself from that. That's the problem. That, that that's that's exactly the problem. There's a million different ways he could have said the same thing, and he chose the one that is base, and that does not appeal to the people that are buying his equipment. I don't know. I I think I would have taken the side that. The other people that you've talked to in that in that I don't see it as as anything except an offhand comment that he said, look, it's like this thing and you, well, you can't touch it. You're not going to be able to affect it. Neither does it mean. My opinions on that are. And yeah, he was laughing. My opinions that. on that are another thing. But but again, you know, maybe some people don't care. Right. Like, and I'm OK with that. And frankly, I would still buy Joe Morgan's amps. I actually like some of the stuff that he puts out. But I'm just saying it, there there's a there's a disjoint between. Um, when you can throw somebody like Ryan Adams under the bus, who doesn't even have like he's not a, he doesn't have a court case, like he doesn't have any way to defend himself, and in much of the same yeah, way did it? Whatever happened with that? He he had allegedly yeah, and it's um, like well, me too. All right, he's done. Get him out of here. Not interested anymore. Um, maybe there was a well, don't worry. Maybe there you was still like a domestic his dispute thing or whatever. I don't know, but like. You can still buy his pedal on Reverb new as ZZ Towns and used at uh, um, several places in the United yeah. States. Just saying. If you want one, but that VCR is We touched on the modeling side of this conversation. I think because we're talking about the Joe Morgan thing, I think we should probably put a pin in the, the modeling side of it too because I don't want this to go on for like further episodes. Like, So, Yes. I'm not going to pretend that that, and I think I said this last week. I'm not going to pretend that Joe Morgan isn't correct to a degree on what he says, and that is, you know, like yeah, so tube amps are still better because you can, you know, you can interact with them more. But I'm also going to, I'm also going to kind of defend the 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 modeling side of this and say, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, the current generation of products that are out there, it's like your XFX three, your um, your Kemper and your your Helix stuff offer almost, at least in the Helix case, almost tube like feel, like in the sense that they really do react to your to your picking and stuff in the in a in a way that is consistent with your typical tube amp. Do they match the models they're emulating? In the Helix case, I would say no. They're they're not exactly the same, but they're close enough that like in a gigging situation, you can get away with it. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to be batting an eye about using them in the studio either. And people are using these things in the studio. Um, there's oh, yeah, a reason for it. Um, but like anybody who says that, you haven't played a Kemper. That's that's pretty clear to me at this point. Because if I were them, I would be running scared that the Kemper is going to take my job. Now, granted, everybody says, and this is the argument I've heard in the Kemper groups, is like, well, 
you know, you still have to make tube amps so that the Kemper can model them. Yeah, but the technology exists already. Like, you don't have to make them in mass. They're making a lot more money selling one-off tube amps than they would if they were to develop a prototype to be profiled and then sell the profiles. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. um, or, or even if they started developing it in software um, and use the, the Kemper to fill in the gaps, that, that technology. Well, it, it's like the drug companies, pharmaceutical companies. They, there's more money in, in um, taking care of people who are sick than making people well. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't want to it, demonize, and, and that's, that, let me make this very clear. I don't want to demonize people like Joe Morgan or or uh, Dave Friedman. Which, by the way, we we're having this whole conversation on on uh, you know Joe Morgan's comments. Let's not even talk about Dave Friedman because let's let's just leave that out because because there that that is a person who is sexist. Like if you look at the names of his amplifiers and stuff and the the behaviors that associated with those things, yeah, they're kind of tongue in cheek, silly stuff. But like at the same time, it's like, dude. That's actually disrespectful if you think about it. Um, I'm just I'm just throwing that out. Says there. says the man who wants a dirty Shirley. But anyway. I don't want a dirty, <laughs> dirty Shirley. I talked about what was buying the one you pink, wanted, The brown eye. About, no, the pink taco. Oh, the like, pink taco. I I pink I, taco. I mean like yeah, I would buy one, but it, like that's embarrassing. I'd probably put tape over it, um, especially yeah. in certain playing scenarios. So I'm not I, oh, I'm obviously not going to buy a pink taco like I've changed my mind on that. But um, I always yeah. refer to it as the PT-25 or the PT-15 yes. or whatever it was. And again, you could the PT, the PT, the Pete Thorne. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, yeah, I mean, I I agree. Remember, we got to, you know, got to take sides on these things. And, I, and um, you know. I listened to what they said, and I knew what they were going to say. I mean, of course, everything. I mean, really, like I said, you'd be dumb not what, to. I mean, I'll tell you what ticked me off. It was that um, uh, Rhett Shaw goes, and they're probably going to say things that will surprise you. No, no not a gosh not darn really. thing that they said surprised me in the least. No. Each one said, "Yup, they're out there." They were very, very careful about how they said. Oh yeah, they're if you like them, they're good, but. They kind of suck. Well, I, the I mean, way I the, the way know. I phrased the narrative was more like, um, I only play my amplifiers. Like that was kind of like yeah. what I when I was perceiving that the conversation I, would be like. I think this. I think the results of the same the conversation between each one would have been the same if if you walked up to one and said, you know, the Morgan amps, blah blah blah, and I, you know, but what do you think about people that play real Marshalls? Well, you know. I'm sure. I'm sure he would have come up with some something about pornography that would have also had to yeah, do with the fact that a JCM 900 isn't as good as this. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I I, I, I want to stress this. It I was actually what he said. It's the fact that the community didn't react the way that they do to everything else that happens. Man, if I if I had a dime for every time I thought it's just like when when somebody like uh, uh, to me, and of course I'm not a woman, so I I excuse. I hope someone lets me have a little pass on the fact that I may be ignorant in this. But when a woman like, um, uh, oh, what the heck's her name? Um, the achy, breaky heart daughter there, uh, uh, Cyrus, Miley yeah. Cyrus. When somebody like Miley Cyrus comes out and says, people are, sec you know, this person is sexualizing. Uh, Miley, shut up. You you do this for a living. You are, That's you are what one you are, step right? away from porn by yourself. Yeah. I mean, don't. Don't talk to people about sexualizing for money because that's what you do. But anyway, I mean, 
Um, that that I, I I don't understand why people don't on people don't grasp. You know, it's it's a bigger obviously a bigger discussion in that there are people who who spend their lives they lie to you for a living. They convince you that they are Thor. They convince you that they are the the red headed. You're, you're talking about politicians. And, and no, yeah. I, but I'm talking about the people who stand there and lie for a living. They, they're actors and actresses yes, and, yes. and musicians and stuff. And they convince you of all these things that they're like, and then they tell you, no, I'm not, I am not Spock. There was a book that Leonard Nimoy wrote, yeah. right? But, but then they want to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, you should follow my political group. Why? Why? What makes you uh, yeah. a, a, an expert on politics? Because you were in a no, movie because of the where you played a politician? Everybody tells them they're so great, so they think that their opinions matter. And they don't. Exactly. And they don't. They don't matter any more than yours or mine. And the, and the thing is that that um, at that point, um, and like I said, this discussion is bigger. That sycophantism, what? There, there are... Um, you know, if you read uh, uh, books on um, narcissism, the, the fact that these people think that their their political views and their views on God and so on and so forth are so much more important than yours is because they're being told that their views on God and and politics are more important than yours, and so they can't help. Yeah. It. they're not conceited. They're convinced. Yeah, and I'm that, starting. I'm starting to see that kind of behavior coming from Red Shull. And it's yeah. it's really kind of funny because so like he so he's got divided by thirteen he's got that divided by thirteen he's got some other amplifiers and stuff that he uses live but he's been using the um the Kemper and the Helix for a number of years um in, yeah in live contexts and he's not really using much anymore he uses the HX Stomp and and something on his fly rig and then. He has like the HX effects now that he uses for for like a pedal board. Um, it's a very yeah. small board, and then he has um, you know, he just runs it in the loop and whatever. Four cable, four cable, and gets everything he wants. And it's yeah. really funny to me because when the um, when the the Strymon, whatever the amp modeler they just put out was the Iridium came out, he yeah. was like Iridium over everything else. Yet yeah. he's still using the HX. Yeah, he's still not using it. He's still yeah, using yeah, yeah, yeah. the. You know, cut the shit, man. Like he's he's playing the game, man. They all are. He's they the all games. are, and that's and that's my point. Is like so. Here's a guy that's doing gear reviews and trying to give people honest information. And he has videos like, should I get the Kemper or should I get the Helix? You know, um, he does videos like this or the HX Stomp versus the Helix Floor or whatever. And and yeah. I I look at these videos and I go. You're you're not trustworthy enough no. for me to actually care. Um, yeah, and what your what your um, outcome is? I saw a video with um, with uh, R.J. Riquillo. Yeah, who um, he went to Nam and at Nam, uh, one of the pedal builders. Um, I can't remember the name. Uh, Vertex Effects, the guy from Vertex. Josh Scott? Does that sound no, right? No, he is not who's, the guy from Vertex. Who's the Who's the guy from Vertex? Uh, I don't know, but he's um, a jerk and nobody likes him. 
Well, I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm just saying that. Is he a, is he kind of a heavy set guy that tends to I wear so. shirts that are too tight? Jackass. Because that I mean, uh, that's who this guy was. Yeah, um, he's the one that attacked uh, Robert Jackson. I don't know who. No, that's um, Zvex. You're talking about Z. You're not talking. Yeah, that's Bert Zachary Vex. Yeah, he is a jackass. <laughs> Yeah, Based on is, my interaction with text? him, I have a personal story. You want to ask me, you send me a message, I'll tell you about it. I'm not going to talk about it on the show, but he and I, we go way back. I don't have nice things to say about him. Yeah. So Vertex Effects. Uh, you mean Zvex. Who the heck it is. Uh, you mean. No, who is. Yeah. Oh, now, yeah, I'm in the wrong place. Who's Z Zachary v no, Vertex? Zachary Vex. You know, you're talking about Vertex. Yeah, but who's who's Vertex? Um, I don't remember the guy's name. He does pedal boards for people. I can probably find it out. Um, because he he builds back pedal boards, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, he built this pedal board for our Mason Marangelo. Yeah, there's Mason Marangelo. Okay, there's the video right on Vertex's site. By the way, Vertex Effects blog. He's got it up there for February seventh, twenty twenty. Anyway, so we he builds this thing, and then this is what really ticked me off. So we talk about being practical. We talk about you, you know, you don't need tons of um, tons of uh, gear on your board and blah blah blah. And then I'm going to send you this link and look at this board because all you got to do is look at this link. You don't even have to watch the video to see. All you got to see is the uh, um, is the thing. Ah, crap! I brought up the wrong chat. Um, and I'm like, there are like 17 um, things on this board. And I'm like, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I'm sorry, folks, it's 15. 15 pedals on this board. Well, one of them is a, is a, a rolling uh, effect. Uh, volume pedal um which i'm sure he's using as a uh, controller or something so 14 pedals and three of them are striving no um he doesn't have a single striving pedal on there well he showed a flint i'm not sure why no that's there's not no flint. There. there's no flint on here he's got a ventress he's got a nemesis He's got um, yep. the 63 Feather Reverb, an MD200, yep. uh, the SP Comp. A couple of them are, yep, a couple of them are, uh, what's the word I want? Um, a four. There's a lot of distortion on this board. Yeah, he has got a lot of distortions on it. I, I mean, I don't, this isn't, this is not in the realm of extravagance. If he's got two tiers, then like he has a, Second yeah, there's, tier underneath. That's two tiers. Well, no, he well, the tier underneath is just his power supplies and very, very tight, neatly wrapped. Um, yeah, which is that looks like that's look what looks like a um, uh, a mason board. That's that's the way he builds them. Um, yeah, I don't know what I I don't know what we're gaining from this. I mean, other than saying all I'm saying is, it, well, not only is it impractical, he he goes. To build him, read the read the um, read the thing. This week, the Rig Doctor teams up with celebrity YouTube guitarist Rajay Ronquillo to build him his first pro level pedal board. This guy stopped touring. 
He had a pro level. <laughs> That's what he did was tour as a guitarist and used a board that was obviously professional or he wouldn't have been touring with anybody. And that's what makes me laugh is that it, it makes it like, oh, well, you know what? You, you didn't know what's have really enough funny? stuff on there. You didn't do it well enough. It, it, it had to be this. There's oh. been this 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 movement in in uh, guitar. And I, and I don't want to throw anybody in the bus because I know some companies that actually do this kind of work. Um, but there's been this movement in guitar, like really in the last 10 years to have these boards that are like extremely lavish in the way that they're laid out and put together. Um, and this is clearly one of those, right? Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think, so like somebody like Mason, I'm sure he gets four or $500 to build your board for you. It may be even more than maybe a thousand bucks. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm looking at the list of materials because they, he lists the list of materials that he uses to build one. He needs a soldering iron, solder, solder dispenser, octopus arms, wire strippers, wire snips, a vice, a heat gun, a label maker, uh, label maker tape in black and label maker, label maker tape in clear, deoxic contact cleaner. He needs a true tone milliamp reader, a, a tone brush. What the hell is that? An upholstery crowbar, a multimeter, and goo gone. Now let's stop and let's think about the list of materials there. That's about twice as much stuff as you actually need to get this done. Yeah. Um. I, I I've seen pros with boards with like four pedals on them, right? I've seen pros like Living Color who have you know 130 pedals on the floor, um, and they got four separate boards, and none of them are professionally like super clean and tight and neat, you know, like this, because those guys actually play, right? So they might swap a pedal in, they might actually like leave the board alone. They might, uh, they might kick something, and then all of a sudden, one of the cable connections goes bad. And it, when you have one of these like vertex boards, if a cable goes bad, you're screwed because you're going to have to cut like twenty zip ties to get a new cable on the board to replace the one that's bad. Now you hope it never moves and nothing ever happens. But I can tell you, if this is a tour grade thing, something's going to move and something's going to happen. It's just inevitable. Um, you know, so I watch, I watch people build stuff like this and I just kind of laugh. So you saw what I did. I, I, my current board has all the wire management stuff on it. Um, and, uh, I didn't zip tie all of them down because I know at some point I'm going to add something and I'm going to have to go in there and I'm going to have to cut zip ties. So I'd be better off to, you know, use half or, or a quarter of the amount of zip ties I need. So I'm just using with junction points and like one in between. Uh, each corner or two in between each corner, depending on how long the run is. But like yeah. when I watch these guys, they've got a zip tie on every single one of those um, posts. And you're like, that would be nightmarish to ever touch that board again. So I guess it just goes in a box. Like when you're, when you decide you want to switch the pedals, it just goes in a box and it goes into your bed and then you buy a whole new board, with all new pedals and start over. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine living that way, but I'm sure people do. Um, uh, obviously the, uh, the true like touring professionals would not bat an eye at doing that because they probably have stuff like that in storage, you know, in cartage or whatever. I don't know. I, 
I'm so tired of the the guitar celebrity thing. I'm tired of the YouTube celebrity thing. Somebody like Red Shull, uh Ryan Kilo, or RJ is it RJ Run Kilo? I thought it was I thought it was Ryan. RJ, um, yeah. RJ Run Kilo, uh-huh. and uh, there are others. I mean, even Tim Pierce to an extent. Um, do not represent the reality of a regular guitarist. When you yeah, I had to when you watch. I had, I had to go ahead. Yeah, I had to kind of laugh because Tim Pierce is a. Um, you know he's a he's a um, PRS um, endorsee, right? He's, Which is fine. He's a PRS artist. No, no, no. There's no problem with that. But not one of his recordings was ever done with a PRS. But here's the funnier part that 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 um, I had to laugh. You know what he brought to the gig to do the Grammys? PRS. A strat, oh, yeah. a regular old Fender strat with a humbucker. I'm like, you couldn't figure out how to how to shoehorn one of your PRSs to do this job. You have like a ton of them that Paul, Paul, that's the one thing Paul does. I mean, the truth is all Paul asks of his artists is play PRS. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not, well, he figures, (laughs) you know, if he builds you a PRS, it's going to be amazing. And that that's going to sell itself. Like you're going to want to use it, but all right. I want to point out some stuff in that picture, the vertex picture where he's holding the board. Look at the cables. Yep. He's got those uber expensive cables with the wood connectors on. Them. Yeah. And he's got um, like all this stuff in this picture. And the funny part is he's got like a P like a PV bandit back there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, I just, I look at that and I kind of laugh because I'm like, you've got all this many cables. But anyway, um, even though I buy nice cables, um, I just think it's kind of funny that like these, so YouTube is marketing to us, right? Like when, when these guys go on YouTube and they yeah, show us course. a piece of gear, they're marketing to Jim and I and you who listen to the show and anybody else who watch and the average, the guys, Amp, right? by the way. but they're, but they're yeah. making out like everybody should have one of these boards. Like this well, is the that, way you're supposed yeah. to do it. But in reality, like it's a thousand bucks, you know, you're going to, you're going to yeah. throw away a thousand dollars and then, and then you're going to want oh, to swap out a thousand dollars for the board. And then, yeah. And then you want to swap out a pedal. Guess what? If it isn't exactly like the one you just removed yeah, from that location, you're, you're yeah, screwed. Basically the reality of the reality of these boards, look at, look at the, the pedals behind RJ on his wall. Yeah, I know. Okay. That's RJ's butt. If there's a good, another thousand or more in pedals on his wall behind yeah. him. Oh, there's, there's more a than few thousand, thousand dollars. Yeah, a few thousand on the wall behind him. Yeah. There's a few thousand dollars in amplifiers just to his Yeah, life no, dude, right. that, he's got he's got at least fifty thousand dollars worth of gear in that room. Yeah, yeah. So this is the thing. They're they're trying to show look at me. I'm so cool. I've got fifty thousand dollars worth of gear. But of course you do. You and people are just professional keep giving me more. Not right. everybody needs to be a professional. That's really what I'm saying. Exactly. And the problem is that they're not – the professionals aren't looking at him going, wow, I need to do that. They aren't even watching his channel. Yeah. It, it's it's you guys. They're more interested. You listeners. They're, 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 you know what the professionals are doing? They're more interested in what he's playing. They're Like they're not going right. to watch this and even care about the gear because they're like, oh, I got my stuff. It's nah, already done and set up. Like I don't care. Um, it's like the guy that, uh, and, and I know we've all met somebody over the years that's, that's like this, but it's like the guy that got the, um, he got his Marshall in the eighties and then has not looked at another amp since. And it's yeah. like, it's good enough. Like even now it's still good enough. Um, he might yeah. have a couple of pedals and they're like the same pedals he's had for like the last 15 years. 
and just doesn't. Yeah. Those are the guys you want to play with because they're not concerned with all the little like stupid stuff. You know, they they they're more interested in playing the instrument. You know, um, yeah. That's that's yeah. Beware of the man with one guitar. Right, right. I mean, the the fact is that that you know, love him or hate him, um, Angus Young, it, it's a it's going to be a Gibson SG or a Gibson SG. Yeah, I mean, and it's going to be a it's going to be a '61 Gibson SG, and it's gone through several paint jobs, but it's the same damn guitar. It's it, it and it's going to be Marshalls on the back line, fifty or hundred watts. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and. and um, if you take uh, a guy like, um, you know, there are so many, Brian May, he pretty much plays the same guitar all night long. He, he switches I'm off gonna kick, once I'm or gonna twice. Kick my own ass. I'm going to say something that I know I've argued against in the show. And this just goes to show you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to represent myself for the truth of what I am. And and I play devil's advocate on this show a lot. I've been playing it tonight. You do. Um, yep. I've been playing it tonight. I've been playing it really well tonight as well. Um, yeah. You're doing a great but, job. Uh, because I'm not sure. I, I'm sure Jim's not really even sure where I lie on some of this stuff. Um, no, I, but I'm laughing because uh, I'm just thinking like I have been the guy that's always historically argued for do what you know, do what makes you feel best. Like you know, do what do yeah. what you want to do, and like all that stuff. Um, but I think we place way too much emphasis on tone being in gear. Then we do like tone being a technique and an attitude and how you like literally just approach the instrument and understanding right. that, you know, you can do, th you can do simple stuff without spending any money to make yourself sound the way you want to sound. And I think that this whole industry, this gear industry that we talk about a lot on the show is geared around, you know, making people believe that you really can't play unless you have X. And it's yeah. it's so funny because now that I've like reached a point where it's like I'm not even excited about gear anymore. I've got what I need, and I can get the sounds mm -hmm. I need to, to you know to get the job done. Like I'm right. more focused on a on actually playing my instrument than I ever have been, and it's been that way for yeah. a year now. I mean, since we did since mm -hmm. I did Year of No Gear, I really haven't bought yeah. a lot of gear since then. I mean, I bought the Kemper, um, right, but not much else, and the Vulcan or the the Vader. Vader. Uh, if you want to call it a Vulcan, yeah, I got the key. I got the key. Yeah. I didn't get a Vader. I have a Zeus. Uh, Zeus. But I got the Kiesel and I got the Kemper, and I haven't really done a whole lot of other stuff. And no, and uh, you got your pedal back. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I mean, my point is that, but not really a lot. But my point is that it's like. That's not as important to me as like, you know, actually being able to get some gigs and playing out. And this is, yeah. I shouldn't talk about this last week when Nick was on the show. Um, but those parts of the conversation are really, and I know we're, we're hitting a long time here, but um, those parts of the conversation are really important. I think, I think I'm hitting an impasse where I finally realized like the gear is just a way to make things happen. Like it's not right. It doesn't dictate what, and it might dictate some, some extent what's going to happen, but it doesn't dictate like what I'm going to sound like. I sound like me regardless of what gear I play through. And it's, well, yeah, it's not necessarily the sound I hear in my head, 
But do I actually need that as much as being able to express myself on my instrument? Right. I I brought up the RJ thing also to point out, not that I'm putting down RJ, I'm going to kill you. Believe me, I'm not doing that by, by any stretch of imagination. I, he then played through like four different, uh, you know, um, uh, gain and distortion pedals. And I was like, RJ, you really haven't changed that. The tone hasn't really changed enough that in a mix, I would notice it that much. I mean, if it was a studio thing, yes, I would notice it. But if it was a mix that I was hearing live, eh, it wouldn't do anything for me. So... Again, I've gotten to where, you know, I've got the three guitars. I've got enough guitars that are going to cover everything I need to do. Um, more, I've got two more guitars that I probably need to cover everything I want to do, um, which, which just tells you I really only need to be a one guitar person. But then um, I've, got the, I've got the amp and the, and the um, pedals that I need. So the, the, I think just like what you're talking about, did you, you saw the, the video I put up, folks, for the, the – Telecaster and this and the Grey Lakes yep. pickups, right? I wasn't even I wasn't even using a pick. No, I know. So that whole that whole thing is done with my fingers. Um, when it looked like I was using a pick, I was actually just using the corner of my index finger, right. where I tore off the, <laughs> which I do regularly, by the way, um, the corner of my my nail. Um, and I never I didn't change anything on the amp. All I did, because I wanted to show what the pickups can do, what you can do with minimal stuff. It was my fingers and me rolling on and off the tone and the volume of the of the guitar. And that was it. Nothing more than that. Yeah. And, of course, switching the, the pickup selections, but that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, what was amazing to me was that was a katana. Yeah. And that was a katana. A katana one, folks. Not the two. Not the same I didn't think damn thing. Oh, I gotta go get the two. Oh my god! Now, no number two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Not that I'm putting down the number two. That now cares? it's the only thing you can get. I don't know who cares. But the point is, you don't need to run out and get rid of your one to get the two. And I, and um, you'll notice that a lot of times I got that sound, that attack, just by rolling back a little bit on the volume and lightening up on the way that I played. What part of my finger I used. So. It's really, if you go back and you listen to it, I know I got some flubby notes in there. God, I, yeah. But um, the fact is that if you listen to it, I got a lot of clean tones. That was that was the distorted channel. I was using the brown channel. On yeah. The amp. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I I don't really have problems with people that are that are you know willing to to buy gear and do these things and have these big extravagant yeah. boards and pay somebody professionally why much um and actually oh, i i wish i could help me why are my, i consider two i consider yeah. doing mine um like going in and getting it done and i actually had a quote and everything done um and i honestly the reason why i balked well number one was yeah i didn't have a, a ton of money at the time but that wasn't actually the reason i balked the reason i balked is i'm like Part of me is like I want to be able to buy a pedal here and there and throw it on the board and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. Right. But my, but my bigger um, – the bigger point I want to make here is that everybody arrives at the conclusion in their own way. But I think right. that we all end up with the conclusion that we have to be able to play. <laughs> 
if you can't play right. what's in your head or what's in your heart, you're not going to be able to do anything, right? Like if they if that's covers, if it's a lot, if it's your own music, if it's just noodling, I mean, if that's what you want to do, you're going to find the way to achieve that. And once you get there, you're going to be thrilled. But the problem is I think we try to take too many gear routes to it and we don't take enough. Like uh, I think a lot of people, not everybody, uh, um, obviously there are people that, that can literally not even plug in a guitar and play pedals. Um, I think that a lot of our interpretation of what we should do is based on, you know, Hey, this is ad and it's, this pedal says it's going to do this and I'll buy that. And then, you know, it, whether it does it or not, doesn't matter. And, and I think there's, so it, with regards to our Joe Morgan and, and the Red Shoal video comment or and discussion, how this relates back to that, um, is when you have these, um, I'm trying to think about the right way to, the right way to put this. So when you have, uh, all these pedals at your disposal and you have all these options at your disposal and, and it's like, it's like we're talking earlier episode about placing limits, removing limits. I feel like placing limits and removing limits, like having pedals is the option is like limitless, right? You can do whatever you want. And, and or right. having a modeling device that has all that stuff is limitless. And the real yeah. limitation is your physical dexterity. It's you. Yeah. I mean. And that's, you know, it's your imagination. Right, right. So, you know, you got a limit. You always have a limit. Um, I, there was another thing I was going to say though, I was going to relate it back to, um, I, I wish I could, I could remember what I was getting at there. Uh, there was nothing I was going to say. I was going to re relate this back to the, the Joe Morgan, uh, Brent Scholl conversation, which is that, um, just, I guess, I, I mean, I guess if I'm going to relate it in the simplest terms, probably is just, you know, think for yourself, don't let, don't let, um, you know, somebody's, uh, demeanor or whatever define for you the product that you need to get the job done and don't get so caught right. up in the product that you think that it's going to redefine something for you like as a player like that's unless your thing is specifically gear like i was talking about the guy that literally plays his pedals without a guitar plugged in um which we <laughs> know those people exist um and it's fine it's a valid form of expression but like that's probably the only time where the gear to is going to dictate what you're capable of doing. Um, right. Well, I think, um, I think when it comes to uh, the process of creating, you're like you were talking about earlier, we're bringing this all full circle is that you, you create with what you have. When you look at a lot of famous musicians, um, especially from the era of me or before. So um, I was watching an interview with James Burton. They asked why he played a Telecaster. And it was a one pickup Telecaster. You know why he said he went, played a one pickup Telecaster at that time? Because that's, that's all he could right. afford. So I think James Burton did okay. Yeah. Just say it. You know? So, I um, I want to, I want to, you know, put our caveat at the end of this and that is that if that's your jam like if that's what you like to do you enjoy gear like that for sure go yeah. and pursue it but just understand okay. that you know you don't necessarily have to pursue that to be a good guitar player right i'm just saying that you can enjoy it and it might bring joy to other people but it's not necessarily like fulfilling the guitar side of things you know what i mean like 
Um, I think guitar is a, is a multifaceted hobby. It's like a hydra, hydra. You know, you got playing on one side, you've got gear on the other, you've got community on one part of it. And um, I certainly see uh, how you could get fixated on one of those heads. And I guess that's what I'm really getting at here is that we don't really want to be fixated. Um, you're better off if you can, you know, kind of divert, unless that's, you know, a particular part of what you're trying to do. Um, and artistry yeah and you know that whole thing you know obviously that's going to dictate this whole conversation uh, right yeah i don't know i guess uh i guess we can wrap it up you know you got anything else you want to add jim no no i think that that we've said it pretty well you know pick i don't think that there is a magic bullet pedal or anything like that that's going to get you where you want to be um but we should we should next week talk about some of the things that you if you want certain things out of your instrument you're going to have yeah to that's actually a good idea because i can already think of a few things that are coming into play but yeah. i mean i know people yeah. that play with i mean what i would i would turn even i would turn my nose up but i but um that's me being a cork sniffer and i'm freely i'm freely willing to oh. admit that I do have yep. biases. Um, I I do, so as far as the devil's advocate thing is concerned, I do lean more towards accepting modeling, I think, than most people do. Um, I've had a really good experience with the Kemper that has basically set me straight. Like, if you remember the early days of the show, I was not that keen on modeling. Like, I had the Helix, and I was the first to admit that it is not as good as um, the other gear I had. Um, and I tried to make the most out of it and it ended up getting sold. Right. Um, yeah. but I don't, I'm sure there will be a point in my future where I'm like, I'm done with the Kemper and all this, but I'm not there yet. And the fact that I'm not, this has lasted more than some tube amps have in my, my possession, which that's pretty telling. Um, yeah, and I've had some good stuff in, in, you know, my possession just prior to starting yeah. the show. So, um, Anyway, uh, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been the Practical Guitarists. Yes, we have. <laughs>